degrees. Yeah, Linden, Apples, do you have any test operations restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Area 31. Continue to send at your discretion, over. Okay, Center. The traffic is approaching head-on, ultra right, and really moving. They're right by us, right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac Wanwan and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have in store for you tonight. But first, I have to introduce the members of the posse, and I have to apologize right up front, girls. Yeah, you may still need your big box of Kleenex and your fan and your misters and your economy pack of wipes. But the very famous JJ is not here tonight, not here on a secret mission called the way at the last minute. But he's here in spirit. However, girls, you shouldn't be completely disappointed because up there in uh, the great state of Maine, the great white north, in his compound, formerly his bunker, they know him as Coco on the street, but we know him as Commander Coco. Cece. Good evening, Mac. As always, pleasure to uh, join the formation. Mm -hmm. It's big shoes that I have to fill with the JJ uh, absence tonight. What is he, about a 14 and a half? I'd just like to add that uh, we are in multiple feet of snow up here Mm. in the Great White North. Mm. The animals are frolicking in at least two to three feet of uh, light powder. It's the middle of June. Why is it still snowing up there? Oh, you know. (laughs) That's a little... Climate is uh, something that we just live like we like watching television up here in Maine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey, listen. Um, I was reading uh, something about. Um, remember the TV show Murder She Wrote? Yes. Okay. Didn't that take place in a town in Maine? Yes. Crab something. Crab tree. Crab, crab cove. cove. Okay. Rabbit cove. Someone added up how many murders are in that place. Like over the twelve years the show was on. And it was hundreds yeah, it's, of murders. It's higher than Chicago. Yeah, there's more. Yeah. It's high, it's better than Chicago. <laughs> Everyone in the place got killed and twice. If you did it by the population, if you, I mean, if you did it by the population, <laughs> right? Wouldn't someone come in and say, "Hey, something odd here. Something's going on." But she solved them all. No, no, not in Maine. No, not in Maine. It was no, just yeah, nothing. Okay. I, I'm just telling you, not in Maine. No. I understand. Okay, but it is the great state of Maine. It's a great place. If you like seafood, it is a great state. Yeah, it is. Um, so. Um, and maple syrup, maple boost, syrup, you know, all those kinds of things. Yep. Cheap weed. Hang on. Who said that? Wow. Um, listen, uh, uh, Switchy is going to be joining us uh, in formation. Is that what they say when someone joins late? What's what's the? What's He's going to join the formation. Yes. Why we're why we're en route to the okay. fun changing ever changing target of Macmillan's Twelve Bear Twelve. Wow. Okay. Uh, so uh, a, a number of people will be joining us um, in a little while, but. Really classing up the show right from the beginning is our good friend, Valerie LaFasso. Hi, Val. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm really excited to be back here with you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coco said it off. Yeah, but I'll say it again. Can I say you look ravaging as well? He already said it. 
we have him on <laughs> thank tape. Thank you. Okay, thank you. It's like an early, it's like an early gift when you see Val, mm -hmm. and she's got this kind of glow to me. Right. We don't have it, so when we see it, we know it. Oh, you guys, yeah, it, 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 thank God this is radio, because if they saw this, it looks like two dim bulbs and a certain thing. So there you go. <laughs> I get the dim bulbs fine. So listen, so Val, what's going on with you? What's new with you? You have a new book coming out, right? Yeah, it's already out. Um, I re-released the first two books in my series. The second editions have been released. Um, and the third book in the series is out for the first time ever. So what's the name? It's super exciting for me. Okay. The yeah, titles. Yeah, what are the names? Uh, the title of the series is Tangled Web of Friends. Um, the first book is Summer Camp. Uh -huh. The second book is The Witches of Fishkill Pond. Okay. And the third book is titled The Last Hour. Oh, okay. Let's go to summer camp. What's that about? What's, what can you tell us about that? So summer camp follows the main character, um, whose name is Josie, who is not a hiker or camper, but her parents send her on this week-long hiking camp, actually up in, in the Katahdin area of Maine is okay. where they, they go. Yes. Um, and th through a series of events, she starts seeing ghosts while she's out there, and they get stranded in an abandoned house. And um, so this this series is going to follow her and the friends that she makes on this trip um, and how she deals with being able to talk to ghosts and how it affects the people around her, the relationships she has with living and dead people and, mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, and if people were interested in grabbing, where would one find these? They are available on Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Um, the first two are an ebook as well, mm -hmm. um, but they're on all the major um you know, so, booksellers online. Okay, Excellent. so what's the name of the series yeah. again? What's the name of the series again? Tangled Web of Friends. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, so just go to Amazon.com uh, and uh, look up, um, search for Tangled Web of Friends, right? Yep. Are these G-rated or are they slightly R-rated? I almost said X-rated. I'm guessing. Um, they're definitely not R-rated. I actually, my my original editor is pretty strict about language, hmm. um, and I'm I'm pretty grateful for that. But you know, people get nervous because ooh, it's ghosts, it's scary. But it's they're really more about the relationships than about the scare. I mean, there is some scary parts, of course. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're dealing with ghosts. things that we don't quite understand, so right. that can be scary. But wow, that's cool. Um, I've had kids as young as 10 years old read them, um, mm -hmm. up to people in their 80s, and they all. Mm -hmm. all okay, that brings in most of the posse. They're right there, Matt, yeah, right. starting there with KJ in the 10 year old category, that's working the all the way up to the rest of us. Right. Of switch on the top end. Of <laughs> oh, it does. All the way up to switch. Remember, this is on tape. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. You know, I can see, um, you know, people getting hit that. People love to get scared. People love ghost stories, you know, and there's an endless well of ghost stories. Yeah, and you know these aren't necessarily your average ghost stories. You know, I've been lucky enough. I, I learned that I was a medium while writing these books. Mm. So I've I've been able to put my own experiences into a lot of it, as well as bring in the experiences of all the different intuitives that I've met over you know the last twelve or so years mm -hmm. um, that I've been working on these. So. So you are um, an you are an empath. You know, I think it's a, Yes, an empathic medium. Yes, yeah. right, a medium. Okay, right. Is that a gift? Is that a gift or a burden? Or does it all depend? Depends on the minute of the day. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, no, it's it's mostly a gift once you learn how to understand and manage the energy. Um, it can be very draining. You know, empaths can be very susceptible to 
depression and anxiety because oh. we're constantly feeling the energy of everything around us and we don't always know what's going on or it's just so overwhelming. So we need to take care of ourselves and charge our, ourselves and mm-hmm. hang on to as much energy as possible. So it, it can be tough, but okay. um, once you know how to manage it, it it's pretty amazing, I mm-hmm. think. This might be a tough two hours, Valerie. Hopefully you hang in with us. We can be as charging or as decharging sure. as possible. Just tell us. Just depending on what, you know, what mode we're in. Right. But, you know, I don't want you to think, though, that, like, you're doing something to drain me. It's it's just how it is. Everything on this planet has energy. Everything has the potential to be draining or charging. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just figuring out which is which and how I have to move throughout those situations. Um, wow. And really, from what I've experienced, a lot of people have some empathic tendencies, except maybe sociopaths. But I mean, that's Uh-oh. a I, I almost said I don't, topic. but of course you know, I do. Right there, there's a big thing. Right, <laughs> right. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know what I have to tell you the truth, but I, I know the people. There are definitely people who are a little bit more tuned into things than other people. There's no doubt about it. And you're one of them. Yeah, and you know some. Some people definitely seem thrown into it. You know, they're not given a choice. It's going to happen to them no matter mm-hmm. what, if they want it or not. And then other people really want it and learn how to figure it out. Right. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and then there's everybody in between. So the reluctant medium. How about that? There's a TV show. The, you know, she's a medium. She can do it all, but she's kind of reluctant <laughs> to be like that. But people are always coming to her from hell. We can put her in a little fishing village in Maine. Come on, writes itself. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So anyway, yeah, so you never know. You never know. It was right. You know. Then we can we could start. We could be ourselves in it. Uh, so listen, Coco. <laughs> I want to thank you for the coffee beer. By yes, the sir. way, the coffee beer that you gave. Oh me yeah. yeah. You, yes. Are you uh, are you kind of digging that? Um, I, I'll be honest. Uh, you know, uh, for Christmas, Coco gave me a four pack. Was it a four pack? Yes. Of um, four pack. I believe. Pabst yes, Blue sir. Ribbon. Hard coffee. Hard coffee. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Hard coffee. Right. It's a, it's actually a malted liquor, which. Uh, I don't mind at all. Um, you have to drink two or three regular beers before you drink one. You know, that's, I mean, just, that's, that's my well, safety tip. Yes. Safety tip with yeah. Pat to Mac for my uh, yep. making sure you line up your proper beer right. uh, arrangement because no one likes to go into battle and not have the proper order. Of right. So, right. You have to kind of measure. Uh, no to you kids out there because <laughs> you know Pabst is the drink of the cool kids. Is it? Are they really? Absolutely right. So, the story behind my grandfather, uh, the maternal one, yes. loved Pabst Blue Ribbon. Uh huh. And I remember sinking that the probably the first time having a drink mm. and almost throwing up. Yes. Uh, no takeaway from Paps Road. But I've heard everyone raving about this hard coffee. Mm. And when I threw a party uh, not too long ago, yes. I didn't have enough Paps because the younger set was amongst me. Uh-huh. And uh, they were kind of put out that things like uh, these fine German uh, ales, a couple local uh, uh, microbrews yes. and uh, Sam Adams was offending their palate oh, and they didn't have their hats. So I tried on. to, I tried to keep you. Know, keep why did young. you do that? Yeah. Keep young. Yes. Yeah. Say again? I was yeah, going to say, why did you do that to those kids? You got to understand the you... lingo. You got to work with the kids. I'm, with you. I'm trying to. Did yeah. they all get a trophy before she, they left though? I, I, I'm with you. I mean, you know. Oh, hey, now you're going into sociological. Okay, we don't want to go down I, that I, road. I can't comment. Not with Jake. Not with one one out here. If, if I was going to make a trophy, I would glue a blue ribbon can See? on a piece of two by four. There you and go. It's- right. Yeah. And I know you know someone you who could do the work. Display it proudly. Yeah. Just say, here it is. I did this. Yeah. Uh, it's you know that that beer has been around. <laughs> not to get down this road. That beer has been around forever. 
you know, it used to be basically an economy beer. Someone bought it and they and they yuppified right. it. I hate, I'm saying that in an advertising term. You know, it's the same old beer. There's no sense in paying a buck fifty more for it a glass. But anyway, that's just me. So um, why don't we? We have a top ten tonight. Top ten weird warships. How about that? Um, do you want to do it now? You know, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a break and then we'll do it? Okay, see if we can pick up some stragglers along the way. What do you say, Coco? I'm looking at you. You never know. You never know the net when we're we're, we're on a cap tonight, folks. For right. the military folks, they know what that means. Combat the military folks, we're on a combat air patrol tonight. Right. Out there working the airspace as a three-person formation tonight, mm-hmm. and uh, who knows we're going to snag in the net. That's yeah. Okay. There's a joke there somewhere, but I know. Whatever that meant. Yeah, thanks, right. there, thanks. Thanks, Coco. Whatever that meant. Why don't we uh, take a break now and we come back? <laughs> Someone will be with us, I think. You know, switchy, uh, yeah, who knows who. You're listening to Mac Money's Miltrex, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Do you know where the world's most secret bases are located? Do you know what spooky action at a distance means? Is there a conspiracy by aliens to prevent us from conquering space? And where is the best place in the United States to see a real UFO? Find the answers to all these questions and more in Mac Maloney's new book, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe. Visit places you never knew existed, the Phantom Tunnels of Tokyo, the UFO Trail in South America, Hong's Hats, and the very mysterious M Triangle. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe contains hundreds of reports on ghosts, haunted planes and ships, weird celebrity deaths, mysterious sounds, and a breakdown of every monster in America, state by state. You've heard him talk about it on the radio. Now, get all of Mac's paranormal research in one large volume. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, with the forward by the very famous Juan Juan. On sale now in your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. And I just kept going on and on about myself. I'm taking a leak in the driveway. He says, I know you'd like to talk to total stranger. The story's got nothing to do with the Bruins game. It's what happened with Grandma. I was wondering if those were sadomasochism straps or something. <laughs> but I digress uh, from what I don't know. Get into the beautiful mind of Juan Juan only on the Mac Maloney Military X-Files show. our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. i to put my shades on. This is Macaroni Wild. What a show we have for you tonight. But um, let me just introduce the members of the posse, and it's going to be growing and growing and growing. Um, my good friend, uh, Commander Cobra, is here. Coco, how are you doing? He's, Always, Mac, a privilege to oh, be man. part of the formation. He's saluting me. i got to salute him. JJ is on a secret mission. Called away at the last second. He won't be joining us. Girls, sorry. Switchy is coming during the formation sometime during the show, but with us, classing up the show. Like putting a vase of flowers on the table. Our good friend, Valerie LaFasso. Hi, Val. How are you doing? Hi, Mac. Good. How are you? Uh, Zoom has to work on their audio portion of things. We're great. Coco and I are great. And uh, thanks for joining us tonight. You look, we've already established, you look ravishing tonight. We've said that three or four times tonight. Let's move on. Um, so listen, we have a talk. No, I think what she's saying is, Mac, is okay. that uh, let's move on. 
we don't need to talk about her ravagingness anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe towards the end. Okay, that's what those hand signals. But she's meant. an empath. She already knew that. She knew. She yeah, knew. She's an empath. She already right. knew that. You know, so she knew, we, she, she knew that then that she was descending in tonight. We have a um, top ten uh, list. But listen, we've just had a guest join us. Should we bring him in on the? Uh, what do you think, Coco? Or should we stop the show again? It's we're only not even absolutely. Two, what? No, 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 absolutely. Bring him in. Bring him in. Uh, this, this kind of rolling rumble is always fun. Wow. Yeah, you will see. Watch this train wreck. Okay, here we go. Because you got to tell people before they're on the air that they're on the air. Here we go. Wow, here we go. This is live. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing? Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Dude, this is what you go through. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Hello, Ma- Mac. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Hey, listen, we're on the air, okay? We're on the air. I just have to okay. say that, okay? We brought you in hot, as they say. Um, <laughs> listen, uh, Commander Cobra, he's with us. He's uh, off camera right now, but this is our good friend Valerie LaFasso. She's the pretty one. She's joining us tonight. She's an empath. She's an empath, so watch what you say, if you know what I mean. Okay, I will. And it was through her friend that we got connected. Um, Her friend Mike, I think, was the uh, connecting force who got us together. But uh, we can talk about that later. So how are you doing? You're out in California, right? Uh, Arizona. Arizona, close. Okay. And uh, just one earthquake. Well, to the East Coast. That's (laughs) practically the same thing for most of us on the East Coast. One earthquake away, (laughs) and you got the... Beachfront property, but um, so and you were on, if I remember right, you were on the uh, aircraft carrier, the USS Teddy Roosevelt, as a cryptologist. At the same time, the pilots on from that ship photographed what we call the Gimbo UFO. Please tell me I got all that right. Uh, yes, you did. Right, that, yes. that is exactly right. That was back in 2015. Good for you, Mackie. Um, yeah, 2015, and and uh, you were there when it happened. And um, how long have you been out of the service now? Uh, since March, I, I got out in March, mm-hmm. and it's something we've we've talked before. You were on a couple months ago. We've talked about the, we talked about it in depth. But you, you are a cryptologist. It's kind of a interesting job on a ship like that. Um, but there's a lot of things you can't tell us. But one thing you did tell us is that you would never go back in the service. You liked your time there, but you would never go back, right? Do I have that right? Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I I mean just just because of everything that's happened to me, I've learned a lot about life, and I just don't think that the the service is the place for me. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you. Wow, interesting. Uh, but mm-hmm. but but it was it it was you know the kind of the catalyst and and what brought me to this experience. So I can't say that I regret it. In All right. Any if way. it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be here now. That type of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, listen. You know what, Matthew? I know you have a book uh, that's coming up, but we're in the middle of a thing called Top Ten Weird Warships. You want to join us for that? Sure. <laughs> okay. Hoping you'd say yes. Sounds so, fun. Uh, why don't we do the top 10 weird warships? Valerie's going to read down the list. Number 10, please, Alan. Number 10 is a mouthful. The Novgorod. Russian ship. Yes. Go ahead, Coco. Russian Novgorod is a monitor-type ship, coastal defense ship, uh, sometimes referred to in our circles as the flying saucer ship because it was pretty much circular in Wait, its well, design. Yeah. 1900s or um, 1900s, it had a minor role in the Russo-Turkish War. Mm-hmm. Um, in popular naval myth, it is considered one of the worst ships, worst ever. warships ever built. Because. But that doesn't really quite pan out when you look at what it did. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, decommissioned in 1903, okay. and it was scrapped in 1911. Its real claim to fame, being an ironclad type ship, oh. uh, based on a Scottish naval architect. Yes. They built the beam as wide as possible 
That's why it turned out to be circular. So it's they a circular it ship. It's a ship. The it's a ship that's a circular vessel in a circle. Okay, and 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 the yes. the Tsar fell in love with this design, which is they built two of them, and and he fell in love with this particular design. He said it would be cool to have a circular ship, right? But then fleet. a yeah. fleet, yeah. yeah. But then they started shooting cannons off, and they it turns out that the thing spun like crazy when you you know shot off a cannon. Yeah, we start to get into really weird moments when oh. it would uh, do its uh, thing. So didn't pan out. Happens. Yeah. Well, you know the yeah, few rubles down the drain. Those Russians. Hey, you know they're always uh, willing to go the extra mile. Okay, n uh, number nine, please, Valerie. Top ten weird warships. USS Wisconsin. USS Wisconsin. Okay, what this is, it's also known as the Great Lakes Aircraft Carrier. There's an aircraft carrier in the Great Lakes. I think Lake Superior. And they put it there in World War II. It was an old um, paddle boat. They put a top on it. And it was where, because there's a large Navy base. Um, where is that, Coco, in, um, on the Great Lakes? Well, in Chicago, there's one. Oh, also, there okay. was one in Detroit as well. Yeah, I think JJ was at one of them. But anyway, they would train Navy pilots there. and, and Chicago. They would go out and, yeah, and, and, and practice landing and takeoff on this aircraft carrier and it's still there they it's 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 still there you know they never no one ever bothered to take it out but uh yeah the uss wisconsin great lakes aircraft carrier you ever hear of that before Koki? yes oh you did yes and there's a there was a, a wolverine i believe also was another vessel that was brought on as well okay and two of the best recovered um i believe uh wildcats and possibly one other fighter was because when the sh when they lost their engines on either takeoff or landing, the cold water of the Great Lakes actually preserved the ship wow, very, cool. very well. Yeah, huh. And they're on display at the Naval Aviation Museum in Pensacola because without the salt water, obviously, uh, yeah. it didn't cause the uh, the ships to decay, being very, very cold, and didn't break them down. Yeah, wow, huh. Who knew? Uh, Valley, please, next weird warship. The Glomar Explorer. The Glomar Explorer. Ah, yes. That, right? the, yep. Yes, you did. The Glomar Explorer. First, I need to uh, put a small note that my father did work for Howard Hughes at one time. I always right. like to throw that in. That's why you have all these the USNS Hughes Glomar Explorer. Yes. Tango Alpha Golf 193 Deep Sea Drilling Ship. Mm -hmm. Amazing project. Howard Hughes, the man uh, of, of everything that is unconventional and unachievable within his grasp. Wealth and fame. Built the ship, Project Azurian. It was a CIA <clears throat> special uh, directorate uh, project to uh, get the USSR sub Kilo 129, which had sunk. Um, it is one of those projects where they built a mechanical arm to lift the submarine up from the floor mm -hmm. to recover it. Mm. Um, there is two stories running about how successful it was. One says they got about 13% of the ship. Another uh, very well done study says it's closer to 80% of the ship. Mm -hmm. They did bring a number of Soviet sailors up, gave them a burial at sea. Right. And eventually, after the Cold War, the films of that burial at sea were provided to the Russian Navy right. uh, for the, uh, the sailors that were interned. Um, it is an interesting ship. Uh, in many, many parts. At one point, when it was no longer being used, and it kind of came out, a number of the science community wanted to keep it as a national defense asset because of what it could do. It was very unique. Yes. And it was just know. very expensive to maintain. They pitched it, and on 15 June 2015, in Zhuhasan, China, a yes. uh, ship uh, was uh, sent to a ship-breaking facility. Oh. Which I, this ship has two parts about this ship that it, what it did yeah. is a Mac Maloney story. It, it could have fit in any one of his books that he wrote about. 
on but sale in everywhere. the pirate hunters yes. there was a great scene where they talk about ships a place where ships are brought to oh be yeah broken apart yeah boomerang and i always India, think so, of that yeah. scene yep i always think of that scene of the glomar explorer headed that way yeah they take these huge ships what they do in and uh this is after they've been abandoned or whatever or sold off a of scrap and they'll just put the engines on full blast and run them up onto the shore and then they have these these workers they're 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 all over the kind of like the middle east and india and stuff who do, all they do is just you know use torches and just you know cut them apart thousands and thousands of people working at these places every day they have you know up to 3 or 4 dozen deaths every day from accidents and they pay them 50 cents a month and that kind of thing you know but that's what happens to um your super tankers these days so have you ever heard of that Matthew now you're Kind of close to um, all the spooky stuff that happens in the uh, Navy. You ever hear about the Glomar Explorer? No, I've never, yeah. I've never heard of that. So actually. it was a, it was a big ship, but it had a claw on it. Imagine your James Bond movie yeah. or a cartoon with a big claw, and the, and the the Russian sub had sank. We knew where it was, and they wanted to get you know their missiles and the secret technology of their missiles, et cetera, et cetera. So they, so Howard Hughes pays for this, you know, ship that has a big claw. So they sailed out there, and, and you know it wasn't made public for years later. But it what happened was, as Coco says, there's two stories. One of them is is they picked up a little bit of it, and they got some stuff. But they're never going to tell the Russians that they picked up, you know, eighty percent of it. But supposedly they did get a lot more of it, and they brought up these sailors. And it was when Yeltsin was the president of Russia, and we had kind of good relations with them. I think they would have done it anyway because of that whole Navy, you know, sailor thing. But they did take, they gave him a burial at sea. They videotaped it. And they gave it to the Russians and said, you know, we at least we honored them, that type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Nice touch. One other thing to add to this, Mac. Yes. I actually saw this ship when it was in Mobile, Alabama, and the port there it was being, yeah. when it was sold, it was turned into a uh, deep sea drilling uh, ship oh, really? for yeah. mineral and oil exploration. And it was in Mobile, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it at the time what I was looking at. Oh, but, wow. Uh, years later, I, I was putting a good deal. I was like 97, 98, someplace in there. The only other story I remember about it is that when Nixon was president, right as he was about to leave, he was in San Diego doing a uh, tour of the San Diego Naval Shipyard, and that's where it was at that time. And he said, what is that? I'd like to go aboard it. And they wouldn't let him go aboard it, you know, because even the president didn't have the clearance to go on this thing, you know, which you know just tells you that they can't do everything. So anyway, uh, Valerie, please, the next and uh, top 10 list of weird washers. Seven is the USS Vesuvius. The USS Vesuvius. Okay. Um, what was strange about this uh, ship, it was back in the 1900s or so, was, um, well, the way that uh, ships are armed now, Matthew and both Coco can correct me if I'm wrong, but they basically, naval guns are basically artillery guns that they put on ships. And a lot of them are very powerful and so on. Okay. But they, they, fire off shells. They propel shells just like a, a gun propels a bullet. They propel shells. Shells go 20 miles, okay? And then they blow up. The, the Vesuvius was used to shoot dynamite. Is that right, Coco? They used to, they used to shoot <laughs> dynamite at, at targets. And, um, you know, which would, I could see why that would have some problems, you know, especially loading the gun and stuff like that. But when it worked, they could shoot dynamite like Two miles, but you couldn't hear it coming because it was it was shot by compressed air. You know, you would shoot the dynamite as crazy as it sounds. But they had a ship that did this, and it, I think it was in the Spanish American War. And and the enemy actually complained that we can't hear the shells coming, so it's not fair type thing. 
you it's, know, it's not fair. But uh, you know, having dynamite as your you know weapon of choice is not a good idea. And eventually, it it, it must have blown up or something, right? Something or they could just got rid of it. They decommissioned it before. Yeah, I I guess it was more decommissioned. And as I told you. Off air, I, I really think this was a shame that this isn't sitting in some port as an Italian yeah. restaurant. Yeah. Because I, I think it would be absolutely perfect. Why Italian? Because you're pot Italian? No, because it's Vesuvius. Okay. There's another thing. What kind of a joke? It's got to be a joke that someone says, hey, you got you to ship the shoes of dynamite. Let's call him, you know, USS Vesuvius. Wiley, Wiley Coyote. What else? Yeah, Wiley Coyote would uh, Acme. Anyway. Valerie, how are we doing? You're an empath. Can you sense the vibe of the room? One third away. That's pretty good. One th- it's good. <laughs> one third through this long list. Okay. That's probably all coming yeah, from Yeah, we're at Matthew. number six. Okay. Number six, please, Valerie. Number six is the USS Tuna Fish. Now, see, this is going to go nowhere because Switchy isn't here. This, this is, is a- Yeah, it's inside hockey here, but right. I think we can carry it back. So should we just continue on type thing or should we do the... No, no, no. You need you need, you need need to throw... You need to lob the grenade at okay. Uh, okay. Switchy and then uh, in replay, he'll he'll call you up and yell at you. That's him. Drunken uh, donut-laced uh, craziness. <laughs> yeah, the one that said donuts. Look. He was in he was in subs for four years or something like that. But what was the name of his sub? Like the, the USS Albacore or something? And I and I always said, why don't they just call it, it the Halibut. tuna? I thought it was Halibut. Okay, maybe it's Halibut. Okay. But why is there no USS tuna fish? Albacore is the one here in Portsmouth. Oh, that's where I'm saying. Right. Okay. That's good. USS tuna? No. USS tuna fish. There's skipjack. There's they they've they name all their submarines. I don't think I don't think they did a Charlie tuna fish. I I, I, I didn't look it up. I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure they didn't do it to Okay. All right. So uh, next one, please, Valerie, and this is going to be about real names of ships. Top 10, top 10 weird washers, please, Valerie. Number five. Number five? Five weirdly named British ships. Okay. Here's okay. A cook- no, Britain, the Royal Navy. The, yes. the uh, Rule yes. Britannia, Britannia of the Seas, right? Yes. Okay. We have a lot they of have ships like the We have a lot of listeners. The Invincible, the Boxer. And the they also have a line of ships. Yes. The Dainty. The HMS Pansy, HMS Hawk Chopper, mm-hmm. the HMS Spanker. Oh. I looked this up no, to prepare for the show. I would like to tell everyone that Matt is doing his best trying to hold it together face, and it's just barely hanging on. He's about six and a half G's getting ready to just let it go. Whatever you say. The United States Naval Institute, when I looked this up, as Matt said, hey, be prepared for this tonight. Yes. I quote the following part. Go. Soft names are bad for morale, end quote, as was put in a journal of the, of the Naval Studies and Handbook. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to leave that where it lays right, right. there. But let's I repeat. repeat for the audience who didn't hear it the first time. Let's Soft repeat. Soft names. The real names. Are bad for morale, end quote. HMS Dainty. Dainty. Pansy. Pansy. Cock Chopper. Good. And Spanker. Mm. Now, listen. In, in what world? Ships of the line. Yeah. Hey, what? where are you in from, sailor? Yeah. I'm from I'm in from the spanker. Oh yeah, that's mm-hmm. gonna go. I'm that's gonna f- get your free drink. Free powerful, I guess. Free drink. I'm in from the pansy. Who who I can tell that by the way you walked in, sailor. Who, yeah, right. <laughs> who in their right mind that doesn't have the greatest sense of humor in the world would go through all you know, these ships aren't cheap, you know, you you gotta throw a couple million bucks into any kind of a naval warship. Why would you call it the USS Pansy? Is it does it not resonate with you that that is not the thing to call a ship? I'm asking Coco. What can I say? Yeah, Matthew, you would know. Do you I agree with I, me? There's no. I, this this is an indefensible uh, position for me. Okay. Yeah. I, I, 
they haven't been in their right mind since they lost the revolution, so in my opinion. So with that said, why don't we go on to the next? Matthew, do you agree with me? Do you agree that that is not it's probably bad form to name a ship the HMS Pansy? Oh yeah, okay. I, I don't even understand how something like that would happen. That is just—it's going to be a joke. Thing I've ever heard. The HMS Dainty, the Dainty. sank a really bad, bad ship. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I'm going to pay for this with my Let's my Brit friends who want to hear this. Good thing my mom isn't here because his wife is British, and we have a lot of British listeners, right? So we're only just absolutely right, right, exactly. Cool Britannia, stick with the uh, vindictive, invincible. Right. Courageous. Those are the names to stick with, gang. Right. The dainties, the yeah. pansies, yeah, the yeah, cock choppers, right. and the spankers. What's with the third one? Or something else. Maybe the, cartoons. Can you re, can you say the third one again slowly? Because I think our audience is missing it. The cock chopper. Now, who would name a ship by that name? What's it even mean other than chafing? Look, Mac, you don't pay me enough to, deep, really to dig into the research that deep. Okay? You really I brought you the quote, okay? Is this about money? I'm not going undercover on this one. (laughs) I'm not going undercover on this one. Good for you. Thank you. So why don't we do this? Why don't we go on to the next one? I can't even show this to Mrs. Cobra. My gosh, she saw these names on here. She'd look at me sideways because she's a sailor sailor. You know, twice the sea time that I have. So I'm going to deny everything. Now I'm up here talking about pansies and dainties. Oh, yeah, this is going to go well. Okay. Next uh, ship, please. Top 10 weird warships, please. Great work. We're at number four, the USS Ice Cream. Okay. <clears throat> the USS Ice Cream. Okay. Real ship. Now, I did a little research in this because I'm a volunteer, Cobra. And what happened was what, what the Navy found out in World War II, now this is all in the Pacific, and you got and it's mostly naval ships and so on and Marines, which are part of the Navy. So it's a Navy war, let's say. And what they found out was that uh, because there was a rule put into you know effect in the um, 1915 where you cannot drink on naval ships, correct, Matthew? Correct. No booze. Right, you cannot drink. And, on and naval did you? But do people still bring booze on? Do they try to sneak booze on? I would. Oh, you know, people trying. No comment, them. Matt. No yeah. comment. Yeah. Why would I ask you? <laughs> but um, okay. So so what they found out was when they went to war, and especially these guys are out on the you know these islands and South Pacific and so on, what they found out was the next best thing was ice cream because everyone likes ice cream. So the Navy bought a big cement barge and turned it into a big refrigerator ship and uh, and made an ice cream factory in it, and they used to sail up and down the Pacific and, and go to ports, basically, and everyone would come and you know, get ice cream. They could make um, 700 gallons of ice cream a day, which is pretty good. It's pretty good. And... You know, ice cream, to, to, and they did it as a morale thing, which is kind of funny, but they did it as a morale thing. And um, and it cut down on all the boozing that the guys were sneaking the booze on to the ships because, you know, they figured, well, ice cream, and I won't get caught. So, yeah. So the USS Ice Cream. Now, how do you, how do you, how do you, you know, scrap that ship? How do you not keep that ship? I, I don't know. The good ship lollipop uh, uh, isn't on the line anymore. Right, the good the ship ice there. cream isn't on the ship on the line anymore. I'd just like to say that the expression cup of joe comes from the situation with the United States Navy. Hmm. Secretary of the Navy at the time, who uh, Josiah, I can't remember Josiah's last name, yes. who removed alcohol from the ships. That's right, yes. Um, there was a lot. Of, and after that, coffee, of course, became the drink of choice hmm. in the Navy. And cup of joe was kind of a derivative and a right. derogatory kind of thing back to the Secretary of the Navy. 
Well, I think it's a good idea. Which is a great point to mention. Military Java Group, yes. Matt Phillips, our friend, who produces uh, a line of copies for each one of the services. Right. And uh, part of the profits go back to active duty and veteran members of each one of the services. Javajo.com. Javajo.com? Is that right? Military yes. Java Group.com. Okay. Yes, military coffee. Yeah, he's a good guy. So um, why don't we do this? Why don't we go to the uh, next weird warship, please, Valerie? The USS Nerwin. The USS Nerwin. Now, what this thing has, um, uh, why it's, its notoriety is, is that it's the smallest nuclear sub ever made. It's 40 feet long, and that might sound long, but it's like two cars, put, in, put two and a half cars lined up, you know. Um, has a nuke in it, and it was um, commissioned in the late 60s, and it, it served until 2008. Now, when they built this thing, uh, this was um, the dream child of Admiral Rickover. We could do a whole show on this guy, Admiral Rickover, because he was crazy, but he was the head could of the we, Navy. Could we ever? He was head of the Navy, and he did stuff no one else can do. I mean, some of the stuff he did was almost, I don't want to use the word miraculous, but just so outside the envelope, like like saying oh, we'll have a nuclear sub in a year, and he did it. That you know, crazy kind of stuff like that. About a real taskmaster, but ran the navy and made the navy what it was back then. But anyway, so what he won, and he was, and he was the father of the nuclear navy. So he had them build this very small sub. I think there's thirteen people on it, thirteen people as the crew, and they made it a. They said it was a research vessel. But what it used to do was it used to do what we were just talking about. It used to search on the on the ocean floor for stuff that, like, the military and the CIA would want and and at least identify it. Now, they used it, uh, like, when the Challenger exploded. That's the ship that went down and cataloged all the stuff that was on the bottom of the floor. Uh, just d different Russian cables and stuff like that. I think it was involved when that Korean airliner was shot down. Uh, and And— Rickover was one of these guys who he'd like to brag about all this top secret stuff he's done, but anytime anyone would ask him about the Nerwin, which was also called the NL1, supposedly he would shut up and he wouldn't talk about it. And that's how valuable it was. So I'm sure they got a replacement. And you you know, you never hear about it, but you would never would. But yeah, a, a nuclear sub the size of a bus. It's about the size of a bus, thirteen people in it. it. Can stay underwater forever. It's crazy. But Popeye Nukes, there you go. Coco. Did you ever hear of that? I have. I've heard a lot of interesting on the margin kind of things that it was engaged in, mm. um, how it was transported, how it would be attached to other ships, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. ways that it was because it, it, of its size. And it makes me think with absolutely no, uh, nothing to, uh, to, to ground this against uh, this particular class of ship probably has a few siblings in its oh, yes. uh, quiver. The big deal is there are many mini subs, but they tend to be electric and they tend to run on battery mm -hmm. and they charge from a mothership and they go do their business. Um, this is an amazing, small, and very, very capable vehicle. And, and stay underwater forever. Matthew, do you, you, I could see you shaking your head. This sounds like the Navy having something like this, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's certainly something that we would have, yeah. I mean, they're into gadgets. I, I'm always, when I think of the Navy, I always think they're into, they're into gadgets. They, they did a lot of gadget aircraft and all that, if you know what I mean, gadget aircraft. Just kind of off the out-of-the-envelope stuff. 
airplane design, right, Coco? Yeah, yeah, yeah like ex- experimental type things. Mm, right. Mm. They're the biggest. And modify stuff. Yeah, modify, modify stuff that yeah. used to be bombers and turn it into yeah. really high end, very interesting intelligence type yeah. gathering. Interesting, yeah. And turn fighters yeah, into bombers. Turn fighters I mean, into the bombers. Pueblo is a perfect example. Right, yeah. The Pueblo is a spy ship that the North Koreans captured back in 68, held the crew for about a year and a half. Talk about doing a show on the subject. All the stuff that happened in that was just yeah. how it I actually happen. delivered the newspaper to one of the crew members' mothers in, really? yeah. back in old Melrose, Massachusetts. Yeah. Harris. Just, you know, the elevator pitch, basically one of our intelligence ships was taken over by the North Koreans. And the, and the, the comedy of errors that caused them to actually take it over was, was unusual. They bring the crew to North Korea and they hold them for about a year and a half. But at one point they took pictures of them and the pictures went around the world and the guys just sitting there and they all got their middle fingers out. Yeah, you know, they get their arms crossed or they're sitting kind of cross-legged, but they all have their middle fingers out. You know, they got their asses beat for doing it, but everyone in, around the world got the message that they were just telling the North Koreans, we'll cut this out. That the, that the food wasn't too good. The food wasn't good. Thank you. Just save me 1850 for that edit. Thank you, Coco. Yeah, so they finally released them, some kind of an exchange. Who knows? But it's an all pretty strange story, USS Pueblo. But anyway, talk about strange stories. Uh, next uh, ship, please. Valerie. Number two, the I-401 Sentoku-class submarine. Yeah, Coco. One of the great obsessions of Commander Cobra is the Sentoku. The 401, the 400, and the 402, its sister ships. Yes. These are Japanese aircraft carriers. Again, another tie-in to the Mac Maloney universe of stories and wingman. Mac had large troop-carrying submarines that attack the northeast coast of the United States, one of my favorite uh, renditions of the series of Wingman. I have been obsessed with this as equally as I am obsessed with the triangle, black triangle aircraft. Wow. The the mission of these particular submarines uh, was basically to have a strike platform, which the United States Navy Mm -hmm. was able to create with its attack subs with uh, the Tomahawk missiles later on. But they carry three Aichi M6A1 torpedo bombers, sometimes referred to as the Syrian float torpedo bombers. Right. The planes would all fold it up. They had a hangar on the top part of the submarine. Yes. These were, until 1965, the largest submarines ever built. Mm. I will, uh, at the end, because I know Mac will ask what's the largest submarines. We'll get to that in a second. Mm, okay. But their whole mission primarily was to, of course, do land attack. Mm-hmm. And the goal that the Japanese had and they felt was pivotal because as Mac had indicated earlier in this segment, yes. that the war in the Pacific was a naval marine war primarily. Right. Uh, well, the war in Europe was much more an Army uh, Air Force type war, Land. although we are going to cover a subject where we're going to have some connection with this. So they wanted to take out the Panama Canal. If they could mm-hmm. stop the Panama Canal from moving ships, this would have uh, greatly inhibited what the Navy could do, because that means you have to make the Great Horn, uh, transit around South America, and that water is some of the worst water yes. in the world. And there's certain times of the year that you cannot make it, or you have to come all the way around from the other side, right? Through either Suez or around Africa, Cape Horn. So, uh, a very interesting ship, a very interesting capability. The story about the ones that were captured, mm-hmm. how they were afraid that other uh, countries were going to get it, how they sunk and destroyed some of them. It's a, an incredible story. They did have some successful missions. But they never had the ability in 45 to really bring it to bear. Right. I think, though, if you ever gave uh, credit to the situation, the Japanese uh, at that time, the military's use of biological weapons, if they had ever decided that they were going to make the strike, 
uh, to the west coast of the United States, they could have really changed the course. Right. If you can imagine with these, uh, with these three aircraft and these submarines, if they could have used it as a way to aerial disperse, right? Biological or chemical agents. If you can imagine so, um, these big back before you okay. go ahead. Back. If you can imagine these big submarines and have these you know big humps on the back of them, I mean like really really big submarines, and talk about gadgets, they would un, you know the 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 humps would kind of come apart like a like a nut or something like, and uh, yeah, clamshell like uh, shells, clamshells. And the wings would fold out, the floats would fold out, they, everything would fold out, lock into place. And what they had was these seaplanes that could carry torpedoes. So they could put them on the sub. The sub would, you know, transit from who knows where to. Their their first, as Coco said, the first plan was, or the whole objective was, to blow up the Panama Canal. And that way, as you said, you know, the transit between back and forth between the different uh, coasts and the different wars would have been just incredible. But they never got that far. The, the technology didn't get that quite that far. But just the whole idea of taking a and having three of these huge ships and have some of them had and a couple of them had three different planes on board. Just the way you know, just the ingenuity that to make something like that work is just amazing. It'd be hard to do today. I, I agree, so, but not impossible. Not impossible. Yeah. So, and now is that? And it has been looked at. The United States Navy has looked at. Oh really? Yeah. I just want to throw in the largest ship, Russian Typhoon. Uh, the Russian typhoon, excuse me. Yes. And now that could be replaced with this super tanker for LNG that the Russians are talking about building mm. called the Pilgrim. Oh. And it would be the biggest sub in the world carrying liquid natural gas. Sub? As a super tanker under the water. Oh, that's just that's, that's, what, could, what could possibly go wrong with a Russian what building could a go huge wrong? There we go. sub carrying. Oh, Don't get anywhere near the East Coast, please, Ivan. So anyway, um, we have uh, number one the, the, in the top ten weird warships. Number one, please, Valley. Valley, before you say it, how are we doing tonight? Well, let's just take the uh, the pulse again. It's still good. It's the definitely still, still good. Th- st- yeah, not lagging at all. No, not going flaccid. No, nope, everything's as the good. Kids say. Okay, good. All right, here we go. Number one, please. Habakkuk. Oh, there you go. Okay, the HMS Habakkuk. Okay. <laughs> and I probably butchered that. That's okay. No, only only you could have said it with such eloquence right. and such voice. Yes. You're so kind. The Habakkuk. Cuck. Whatever. Please, Coco, save me. Habakkuk. HMS Project Habakkuk is one of those really incredible stories, backstories of World War II. Yes. It's It has everything you would want for a major motion picture book deal mm. all written in there. Winston Churchill bought into it. Yep. Lord Mountbatten's in the middle of it. British. There are crazy scientists. Yep. Gustav Pike is in the middle of it. What it basically is, is that we're going to use icebergs as ship-carrying vessels right. so that we can beat the U-boats in the North Atlantic. Right. Icebergs. I will throw a quick aside here. Icebergs. The quick point here that I want to throw in is a great book that you can read about this written by a Coast Guard. Coast Guardsman that fought that war World War II is called Bloody Winter. Yes. The U-boat menace was absolutely destroying uh, the convoy lifeline that Britain needed to, because it was the last foot stop. In Lake Patricia, Canada, a prototype boat was built. They sold it to Winston Churchill that they could use ice as a means to do this. So what they initially thought was, we'll take a large chunk of iceberg and we'll turn it into a aircraft carrier and escort type ships. Mm-hmm. A couple problems with that came out very quickly. Okay. One of them was that most of the iceberg is below the water. So the ability to control it, Hot. the ability to propel it was not there. 
So they kind of abandoned that. Plus, there was stability issues that when parts of it changed. But what brought all this together, the reason everyone was so caught up with this, this thought was yes. the International Ice Patrol was brought together after the sinking of the Titanic. Yes. And it's actually a Coast Guard mission uh, in the United States. They would fly and mark and try to destroy icebergs so that they would not hit merchant ships. Wow, interesting. So to this day, and I think the mission actually ended not but a few years ago, they would mark them and actually report where they were and put a GPS position. They yes. would even mark them with electronic markers in the later years. Yes. But they couldn't blow these things up easily. They could. They would pound them with guns. They would hit with bombs. And this yes. is what got people thinking that ice is just an incredible way to use this. Yes. So what they decided was... They were going to take a refrigeration-type unit in the middle of it and build the iceberg around it mm. so that they would put a more conventional-type type deck or top of the ship and then use ice around this large refrigeration unit. They built a scale model, much like we were talking with Rick Over's uh, submarine. This was in Lake Patricia. It worked pretty well. Canada. In yeah. fact, you can the, uh, the sunken part of this refrigeration unit is still in the lake really? in Lake Patricia in Canada. So they, they're building they a just ship. Had, they just ran into problems that were ice. just insurmountable to make it work. Right, right. But yeah. on paper and on the whiteboard or the blackboard of the day, this was just too attractive not to take an attempt because where they were there flying and fighting hmm. was in really cold water. So they would have been able to at least maintain right. quite a bit of the uh, capability. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And they were going to they, – they created – Now. <clears throat> they created their own kind of – Concrete slash ice. This guy Pike is the guy who did right. it. Right. They mixed it with yeah. The, yeah the like, Pike had a kind of a formula where he mixed a kind of a sawdust kind of sawdust and ice into yeah. the water to make it. Yep. And that's what made it very very strong. And it stayed very very uh, uh, solid even as the temperatures went up. Right. A couple yeah. of things that happened there is salt water does not freeze, although people think it does freeze. It doesn't. What it does is it excludes the salt out of it, and that's how the ice forms. Okay. That's why you can eat sea ice. Okay. Yeah. But the name Good to know. Habakkuk, as we were talking, yes. comes from an old prophet in the Old Testament. Oh. And the quote that it's based is, Be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that if you would not believe, even if I told you. Wow. That's where that name came from. Well, an iceberg aircraft carrier would fit that bill. I mean, what, what, they, what, what they sold Winston Churchill on, okay, this is how crazy this. Now, they're talking about making an iceberg. And making it an aircraft carrier, and the one that they sold him on, like uh, two thousand feet long, was the plan that? on this ship. Hundreds of planes, hundreds Spice of the planes. length of a, uh, that's it. Right, right. They were, you know, the regular aircraft carriers back then would probably carry maybe 50, 60 planes, maybe more. Okay, these days they probably carry you know, how many? Matthew, probably a hundred, fifty, maybe hundred fifty uh, total planes. Uh, I, I would say probably. I would think I, I have no idea yeah. actually. Average but, wings yeah. about sixty airplanes on okay. an aircraft carrier. And how many wings are yeah. there? Two wings on an aircraft carrier, right. just one. One or two air wings on an. Uh, aircraft usually carrier. just one just wing, one. and you have about four squadrons or okay. detachments. Yeah. Okay. So sixty fighters and bombers, and then you have like the you know the AWAC ships and the refuelers and all that jazz. Is that would that would that count in the sixty, Calky? Uh, as part of the planes, yeah, yeah you have about yeah. 60, 65 airplanes yeah, okay. on an aircraft carrier of, of different types. Then you have those that just come and, you know, maybe spend the day or night type thing and then go back. Right, and right. Re re fly or well, this this aircraft carrier made 2,000 feet long by 200 feet wide. Oh, That's Mac Maloney, Wingman, Starman kind of proportions. On sale yeah. everywhere. And, and they were going to have, you know, like 
up to a thousand planes on this, and they bring it in the North Atlantic. And, they, and at the time, the U-boats were really crazy because anyone who crossed the Atlantic in those days in a ship, man, that had all the coverage in the world because the chances were you were going to get sunk. And uh, even if you're in the water, you're gone because you're in the North Atlantic. It's rough. It's crummy weather and so on. But while they were developing this, what were they were developing other anti-U-boat stuff. And basically what they did is they got long-range aircraft. And the thing is, is when you're flying over the water— I mean, U-boats don't go way, way down. You can spot them fairly easily looking down. And and if they're riding on the surface, they did the calculations and they found out that the right kind of airplanes could spot the U-boat, turn around, go into an attack mode, drop the bomb before the U-boat could submerge. So, right, right. And that was basically the end of the U-boat. So they didn't need the iceberg aircraft cab, but it would have been so cool. It would have had like 10,000 people on it and all these planes and stuff. Just don't bring it down. Well, the other part of it, it really was a fortress that uh, mm -hmm. would not be easily destroyed. How could it you would have required it? Yeah. to mount a major attack. And, and at that point, the Germans did not have right. the type of uh, aircraft that could have reached that. What a crazy and I idea. think I shared with you, Matt, when we were prepping up on the show, that uh, when I was down in Antarctica, we actually used an iceberg as a touch-and-go uh, platform to yeah. hop the coast of McMurdo one year. Yes. We found an extremely flat piece of ice. And uh, we tested it to make sure that it would take the uh, helicopters and not cause it. And we had a we had our own little uh, floating island of ice out there. Wow, huh? And uh, for what it was worth, I didn't realize that I was, you know, following the footsteps of Lord Mountbatten and uh, Winston Churchill. Oh, wow. Good for you. Now, you're talking about Antarctica, correct? Yes. Okay. I should just remind the audience that uh, Coco met the lovely Mrs. Coco in Antarctica. How often does that happen? On the way. That's correct. On the uh -huh. way down to Antarctica. On the way down. She is the real sailor in the family. Good for you. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a commercial break now, and we'll be uh, right back after this. We just want to mention two books. Matthew, you have a new book out. What's the name of it, please? Uh, yeah, it's called Initiated by Matthew Roberts. Okay. What's it about? So it's, it's about my own personal experiences with the phenomena. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the things that I experienced uh, while working at the Office of Naval Intelligence. What was the best one? I mean, what's the one that keeps you up at night? What's the craziest thing that happened to you? Not the show. It was all crazy. Oh, you know, yeah, all cool. of it was crazy. I mean, I, 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 the, the one thing that I carry with me, I think, is probably uh, the event when I was woken up by this guy that looked like a yard gnome. Mm. And uh, he told me, don't give up, keep going. And so that's that's my new motto in life. Right, right, yeah, huh? Well, it's weird how advice comes from strange places. So, how long did it take you to write the book? Uh, well, my experiences started in September of 2017. Okay. And uh, I, I, be I began journaling then, mm -hmm. um, and so uh, it took me from then until just about now okay. uh, to write the book. It's a pain in the ass to write a book, isn't it? Yes or no? Oh yeah, there yeah. You go. I, right. I, I mean, I Thank in the you. in the editing phases, I was so tired of reading this uh -huh. book over and over and over and over. I'm with again. your brother. Yeah. yeah, what a drag. Mac loves it. I, I gotta no, tell you, Mac no. loves it. No, he Mac never doesn't. calls me like a drunken stupor during that process at all, ever. Well, I don't do that, but Mac, not often. But Mac doesn't love it. It's the it's the you know I hate to say it, it's a good living, and you know, and there's not many complaints you can make about it. But that's a drag when you have to read it for the seventh friggin' time again, and. You know how oh, it's going to yeah. go, you know? There's no surprises left. <laughs> uh, so Valerie also has... Yeah, the book that we want to mention? Yes. Right. Valerie has uh, a um, added to her series, A Tangled Web of Friends. Is that right, Valerie? 
That's the series name. The book, the third book is um, The Last Hour. The Last Hour. And and uh, we're coming up on The Last Hour. What um, What is it about? Can you tell, can you tease it for people? Valerie LaFrancois. Uh, so it's following. Valerie tease. No, Stop it, Matt. Stop it. And I got to cut that out. There. It's following Josie and her friends as she tries to figure out her gift of talking to ghosts. And it mm. takes them down to Florida and they actually end up um, mm. off the coast um, in the Gulf of Florida at an, a, a closed down military fort where they encounter some strange things. Oh, wow. Huh. Okay. All right. Sounds uh, sounds good. So uh, you go on Amazon and uh, look for Valerie LaFasso, A Tangled Web of Friends. I love that. The series title. She has a new. Uh, a book adding to it. And why don't we do this now? Why don't we take a commercial break now? And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. UFOs are found in Renaissance art, on ancient coins, and etched on cave walls. They're even reported in the Bible. But more surprising is when UFOs are seen the most in times of war. Through centuries, thousands of UFO sightings have been made by high-ranking officials, military pilots, and ordinary soldiers. Often, these fantastic appearances occur at the height of great battles. From World War I to D-Day to Korea, Vietnam, and beyond, military investigators are baffled. Why do UFO sightings spike so drastically during wartime? Could it be mistaken aircraft, or is someone, or something, looking in on us? In UFOs in wartime, what they didn't want you to know, Mac Maloney chronicles centuries of these incredible sightings and tries to solve the puzzle of why so many UFOs are seen while humanity is at war. Read about the scare ships, the ghost planes, and the ghost rockets, alien giants in the jungles of Vietnam, UFOs controlling our ICBM bases, dogfights with flying saucers during the Gulf War, and more. 300 pages of unbelievable stories, along with many startling photographs. That's UFOs in wartime, what they didn't want you to know by Mac Maloney. On sale at your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. Went to Mac Maloney's Mill Tracks Off Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. And it's strange because Juan Juan isn't here. Sorry, girls. He's on his own secret mission. But taking his place and filling his big clown shoes, as he pointed out earlier in the show, is Commander Cobra. Koki. I don't believe I use clown as a uh, wow. adjective to describe his shoes, but if it if the shoe fits, wear it. And I'm desperately trying to fill Juan Juan's shoes. Please. As always, Mac, a privilege to be part of the formation. You said uh, size 24 red with yellow shoelaces, so. Bunting. Yellow bunting oh, and shoelaces. Okay. All right. I right. know I got that wrong. Okay. Uh, Switchblade Steve is going to be joining us later in the show. He's also on a secret mission, but classing up and beautifying the show tonight is our good friend and empath, Valerie LaFasso. Valerie, how are you doing? I'm good, Mac. Thanks for having me. Okay. We won't call you the R word this segment, okay, because we felt we, we overdid it. Right. Okay, is that okay with you? That, that's totally fine with me. I'm, okay. I'm good with that. Okay. Because once you know you are that, you don't need to keep saying Why do you have to be told? Right. How do you spell it, though, Coco? Do you know? Uh, Romeo Alpha Victor, <laughs> India Sierra Hotel, okay, India November Gulf. Okay. 
Hope you wrote that down, kids. So, um, okay, thanks, Valerie, for joining us tonight. Valerie's an empath. She has a new, uh, she has a series out, and she has just added to the series. The name of the series is A Tangled Web of Friends, and the uh, latest book is called, what is it, Valerie? The Last Hour. The Last Hour, okay. Go on Amazon.com, Valerie Lafaso, and uh, look for A Tangled Web of Friends, The Last Hour, and their ghost stories are very unusual ghost stories, I think is a good way to uh, describe them. So, uh yeah, so do it. So uh, are we all going to get copies, Valerie, or, do we, or did you know that already? Um, I can get you copies if you'd like. Okay, all right. Send them to one. Don't send one to one one. Don't don't waste the postage, okay? But send it to Yeah, wait till it's an audio book or when you can like, go over to his house and read it to him. And read it right to him as he's going to sleep. That would be a good idea. So anyway, Valerie, thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Also joining us on the wing, as they say, Matthew Roberts, uh, calling in from uh, Arizona. Matthew was someone who was a cryptologist on the USS Teddy Roosevelt, huge, huge aircraft carrier, when pilots aboard that ship took what we now know as the famous gimbal UFO video and uh, all the repercussions that have um, resulted because of that. But because he was a cryptologist, he really can't tell us much. Is that is that what we're dealing with there, Matthew? Yeah, unfortunately, there's there's not a whole lot I can talk about. Um, I, I can only talk about my own personal experiences because okay. of that. Yep. Okay. Did you sign something? I mean, when you left, or I mean, when you joined, did you sign something, or did you just raise your hand and it's an oath to keep it all? Oh, quiet? yeah. No, of course. There's there's always paperwork you sign whenever you're read into a program. So mm -hmm. it, 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 you're constantly signing non-disclosure agreements. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you ever? Would you ever think of breaking it? Uh, no. Mm -mm. What would happen? I, I, I mean, I'd just end up in, I, I'd probably end up in jail. In jail? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. It'd be health. It would be great for book sales though, dude. It'd be great for book sales. Think about it. I mean, you have to be willing to commit to your art. That's all I got to say. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So listen, our other guest joining us, uh, on the wing now is, uh, Jesse Kwan's name. Am I, uh, pronouncing that right there, Jesse? Last name? Yeah, yeah, Kwasnia. Okay. okay. And you're up in Montana, right? Okay. Yes, sir. He looks like he's in a uh, jacuzzi or something. Or, you know, what do you call those things? A sauna. That's right. So that's what I'm thinking. He's up in sauna. the mountains in a sauna. He's in Montana enjoying it. Is that right? If, if, if we can only get a bear to walk by in the background <laughs> while he's doing this, a would bear. Be just fantastic. Cue the bear at any time. Yeah. Just, okay, cue the bear. We've been having bear sightings for the last two weeks all oh. over town, and we don't have a lot of crime up here. So oh. we've been getting police text messages and alerts from all the bears in town over the last two weeks because it's still too warm for them to go into hibernation. And, and wow. just for those that are listening in the mid part of the country, we're talking about the animal, the genius of animal, not the <laughs> fan of the football game theme from Chicago. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Why would they need the cops for them? So, uh, so listen, so no, you're just wandering around in Montana because they're so sad. That's yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so, um, now, you have your own a podcast. You're a 10-year Army veteran. When were you in? When, what years did you serve, Jesse? Uh, I was in 2005 to 2015. Okay. All right. And, and where did you go? What did you, what did you see? Yeah, I was in Korea, a couple places in the U.S. I went to Iraq a couple times, spent hmm. the last few years in Baltimore City as a forced recruiter. For oh, Army. okay. But most of my time I was in aviation and working in UAVs, okay. special ops UAV teams. Fort Hood. Oh, cool. Can you tell me where you were in Iraq? Yeah, my first 
Coco was there. I was in a place called Diwania Camp Echo. And Camp then Echo, my second sure. time I was in Basra. So did you ever remember seeing the little gray airplanes that were flying around doing ISR there on contract? Little, Please little say Sherpas. Yes. No, not the Sherpa. Skymasters. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was my uh, old outfit. That was Coco. Oh, rad. Yeah, flying around. Yeah. So what, I mean. So uh, we were down at Adder at the same time, I bet. He refers to it as the sandbox. So, I mean, if you had to do it over again, would you have gone over there, Jesse? Did you learn anything, see anything? Was it worth it? The first one was, well, worth it's a weird thing. Mm. Worth it in the overall mission, I don't yeah. necessarily know, but the experience was definitely worth it, things that I saw, especially the first one in Diwani is a beautiful place. I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time flying around small villages, teaching the Iraqi army how to Flight. manage airfields and things like that yeah so yeah i got to travel a lot on that first one which was pretty cool and what were you flying around with jesse choppers? did you get to go to um by any chance did you get a tour of um, um. when you were down so at adam um um, um oh, Iraq. No. Uh, yeah because you probably were closed out like i was one of the last that got to go there it's one of the oldest it's what i think abraham the, from the, the old oldest, testament yeah. the oldest city come, comes from and it was right right alongside there. And uh, then the uh, Iraqi uh, government kind of closed off from us taking mm-hmm. business. So it, it's supposedly yeah. the oldest city. Yeah, they started shutting down a lot. And uh, Yes. And they had wheat fields uh, bigger than in Kansas. Imagine that. Way back when, 20, 22,000 years ago. So anyway, so— Fertile so, Crescent. For, yeah, right, yeah. It's, it's a strange part of the world. I mean, I've never been over there, but you know, just from what I've seen and just how the people are and stuff like that, it might as well be on another planet, you know? Yeah, it's pretty wild. You can go from desert to immediate, like, oasis, where our first FOB was. It was a really small base, and it was just desert everywhere around. And then you just fly into this beautiful palm trees and super green area, just, like, in the middle of the desert. Mm. It's pretty incredible. And what were you flying around in? What kind of – were you flying around in copters? Yeah, UH-60 Blackhawks yeah. for the most part. Yeah, okay. How are they? Rough? Every helicopter, people, helicopter pilots have told me, don't get on a helicopter if you don't have to. Is that right? <laughs> well, they're not the uh, safest in a crash situation. Okay. Then that's right. They're not okay. held together very well when they hit the ground. Okay. Coco is a pilot, so. Uh, Matthew, would you would, would you agree with me? Do you like to fly, Matthew? Yeah. Really? Do you? Yeah. I, I don't like to fly. I don't I either. Actually, I actually hate it, and I helicopters are so uncomfortable because of the vibration that's always constantly happening inside mm-hmm. them. It's, uh, it freaks me out. I, I hate to fly. I mean, I write, I make my living writing about flying and I hate to fly. I'm like that guy who wrote the greatest roller coaster book in the world and he hates roller coasters. Coco, are you awake? <laughs> like, oh, I am. I'm just listening to uh, all the non-aviators talk okay. about uh, my trait. That's okay. fine. All that, right. That's okay. <laughs> What's, okay. what's what's nearly 14,000 hours of flight time to, to this count. August group? Nothing. Let's just keep moving okay. on. Are you counting your days with uh, Michael Bay doing Bad Boys 2? Is that part of your 14,000 hours? That yeah, was part of my 14,000 hours. That is correct, uh, okay. Sir Mac. Okay. So uh, I, I just got to throw this out. So I'm listening to our show on Apple Podcasts the other day. Alexa, play Mac Maloney's Military X-Files on Alexa Podcast, and bada-bing, we're there, Okay. And you were just going into your story about how you and Michael Bay, who is one of the top ten directors in Hollywood, you have this meeting, in quotes, his dog comes up and licks your groin, and then you, the stunt helicopter pilot, starts giving Michael Bay script revisions, correct? 
Yeah, uh, correct with a couple small edits to the uh, way you put it. The dog cannot lick my groin. Okay. He wiped its its, its muzzle on my hands. Tomato, tomato. Go ahead. Okay. We were sitting at a conference table. Mr. Pay was at the other end of the table. I was at the far end. I had my representative or my uh, partner from the Coast Guard's uh, Hollywood office uh, sitting to the left. The uh, various people that are part of the production that are supporting Mr. Bay on that going with it. Yes. And I just happened to make the remark that if we're going for accuracy, these are things that I saw wrong with the script. And he saw how the dog was reacting with me. The dog. Yes. And he gave me. He took your notes. Like 30 seconds to convince him. So I gave him, you know, both barrels. I explained to him that stuff that had gone wrong in other movies of his that I love. Yes. But and only guys like me that are losers with a capital L on my forehead That's your opinion. would even care about or dare bring up. Yes. So everybody of course starts shuddering uh Michael, Michael, Michael on the sides and he puts his hand up, tells him to be quiet, says Listen to the helicopter. Commander pilot. my name. Yes. Commander my name, go ahead call, with call. that. And I said, Well, Mr. Pay goes, No, no, call me Michael. I said, Well, in that case, call me my first name and we went down the list. Wow. And he hmm. changed scenes up. Uh, to make them more accurate and to have some more fun in some of those areas. And that was just one of the many adventures along the way uh, when I was collecting a government paycheck. And did you really? So the government paid you while you were filming Bad Boys 2? Yes, I was on. This was all part of that. Uh, oh, that's duty, the, uh, the that's wrong. Card. That's wrong, dude. Like Top Gun. No, no. Yes, it's it a is. Huge boon for, for recruiting. And Jesse can understand this. When you have a good positive part, the Hollywood office of the Defense Department and the Coast Guard, they get scripts all the time. And then they, these directors and producers will come and say, we want to get government support. We want to have your ships, your helicopters, your troops. And then technical advisors come and go. If they come off active duty like I did, it was just, just another one of my duties of, of running the squadron to go down and do this meeting. And it was actually probably one of the coolest things that happened. I okay. fly down to Miami where the, where the movie was being filmed. There's a paid. guy holding my name up on a sign yes. for the limo. We went through that today. The limo. Yes. Uh, first of all, I tried to fly, get in the front seat with the limo driver because I wanted to talk to him. He goes, no, no, you can't be in the front seat. It's a, it's a rule. So he puts the window down. We're talking, and he's telling me all this great stuff that's going on, how much he loved working for wow. Michael Bay. He's done a number of the movies that he's been in. So, wow. so it was a really interesting time. Yeah, and you're on uh, Uncle Sam's payroll. That's wrong, dude. You should have done that on your uh, R&R or something. Okay, wow. I'm just smiling. The silent treatment. I just got to leave you hanging there, bud, because Uh, I just, you know, I think back to all the times that I was on Uncle Sam's payroll answering your questions when you would write to me about book stuff. Right. So there we go. Okay. Thank you. That's another show. Didn't charge you. I charged Mike Bay. You guys are, I hold both of you in the same esteem. You and Michael Bay, same esteem. Really? Yeah. I don't have any big dogs, though, as it turns out. So are you in touch with him or are you in touch with the dogs? Yes or no? The dogs. The dogs? Yeah, the dogs stay in touch. Good for you. So so Jesse, so what was so so yeah, ten years in the army, right? Okay. So was it was it I mean, I always want to ask people this. Was it what you thought it was gonna be, or did you come out with a different frame of mind? I came out, well, yeah, I came out with a totally different frame of mind. I joined right out of high school and I was eighteen and yeah. I had my twenty first birthday in Iraq and mm-hmm. all these things. So there's no way to spend ten years and not completely change your whole view especially coming from a small place in Montana, just expands everything. Yes. It was drastically different than I thought. <laughs> Slash was told by recruiters in the early 2000s. So um, yes, I think, I think it was mostly just learning how to adapt to 
situations that you will never be really prepared for unless you're there yep. in that situation. There's no amount of like training or discussing it that could get you ready for some of that. Right. Those they, those people don't like us though, do they? If they had their druthers, we wouldn't be involved with them, right? We're just a different. We're just different. Yes. Yeah. Yep. More likely than not. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's 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 too bad it's like that, you know. But that's just the way it is. That's what the other half of the world is like, you know. And you know, a lot of crazy stuff happens over there. They're doing a lot of different things. We're number thirteen in the United Arab Emirates, by the way, Coco. Can you believe that? Hey, no surprise. The UAE is a happening place. Is it really? Yeah. Now, hey, Val, we're not going to ask you for a uh, a reading at this point. We're going to let yeah, Val, the, the show move on a little bit before we actually put your uh, your check onto the uh, pulse. It's uh, a dip. It's it's a pulse. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, that's <laughs> mm, just confirming it. Thank you, Coco. So now you went back to Montana. You went back to your hometown when you came out, right? Right. Okay. And had it changed? Came back here to go to school. Was it changed? It was a little bit different. I don't know. Just the perspective of coming back to a place that was much quieter when you spend 10 years in a lot of loud, Stuff. super busy, super active places to come out here to the mountains and just be able to walk out my back door and not see anybody for hours and hours. Cool. It's just and you're telling a pretty us cool that, experience, but definitely very different. You're telling us that the cops text you when bears are around, right? Yeah, they yeah. let us know when bears are around. Wow, quite a okay. Here. That's cool. So, Well, listen, so before we talk about your podcast, now that i got a Navy guy and an Army guy and a Coast Guard guy, and you're in the Air Force too, Coco, right? That's correct. Okay. Let's talk about the food. Now, listen, for Christmas, Coco gave me a bunch of MREs. And I had got a bunch like 20 years ago. And forget about those, man. This is like ribs and steak and chili and stuff like that. So thank you, Coco, for that. And you can heat them up yourself and so on. My pleasure. Okay. So let's start with the Navy because I always hear about the Navy food is excellent. So, Matthew, if you can rate the food – Five stars is the best on the carrier. What was it? Right. Uh, it was probably about two to three stars, oh. maybe. Oh, wow. Good thing. Obviously, you didn't spend time on small ships. Damn. No. Yeah, I, I never I never did small boys. Yeah. But, 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 yeah. So it, what you have to do is you have to put the Matthew factor into that two to three and add a one to a 1.5 onto it. Too much and you're math. sitting on a ship that's rolling back and forth about 45 degrees port and starboard uh -huh. and pitching 10 and you're getting peanut butter and jelly on wonder bread going man this is the light this is We're great large those guys <laughs> in the aircraft carrier with limitless hot water steaks are complaining about their chateau is not done well tonight <laughs> it's a little overdone yeah okay so he was spoiled by being on the uh, bird farm as the kids say right yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let me yeah, just go over to so. let's go over to Jesse. So Jesse, food in the army. You were out in the field, so it was it was just like MREs and stuff, right? Mostly when you're out in the field. When you're downrange, if you're ever on the FOD, they have a defect, just like any other base, which is probably like a two or three out of five. But yeah, everything in the field is pretty much field rations. Stuff just to eat. Eat. Occasionally, just to eat. Jesse, did, did did you ever get to eat those uh, special field kitchens they would bring out? They didn't have them in Iraq too often, but I had it. I saw them a few times in Germany. Like Turkey, they come out and basically they're working out of base like a truck, and they would actually make hot rations there. And I mean, again, uh, pretty decent eating when you could get that. Line well, you're on. How was yeah. it good? Yeah, we, when when I was in Korea, we had this field problem, and it was like negative twelve degrees for two straight weeks essentially, and we had no indoor place to sleep. So they actually shipped in those big like 
tractors for two or three days to kind of give us a little break. And there's dudes in the back and you would just kind of file right into the back of this big truck and just yes. grab those hot rations. And it was terrible. It was like tiny Eggo waffles and eggs from a box. Switch would like love that. Egg, yes. It was warm and it was so good. Yeah. Really? So they were like mobile. Broken down to a smaller component, lower component. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take much to make you happy. At that, so mobile right? kitchens. Which I think is probably one of the greatest lessons in the military. Right. I so, really do. So these are mobile kitchens, Jesse, mobile kitchens. Yeah, they can drive it right out to you, and then they have some, like, kind of like a buffet if you were to go to, like, a conference center. Those, yeah. Like, Tray-type setups and those big plastic jugs of water. Like a big food truck. Have that lined up on the inside, and, yeah. See, I think, I'll, I'll tell you, this is real inside, but uh, Coquitlam Valley, you know Rye Beach, Hampton Beach, all the way up to New Hampshire? If you had a food truck going up there, yeah. there's, there's, like, 50,000 people there on the summer's day. Yeah, they are calling right now. So, they are right now putting their reservation in for uh, Military X-Files Special Cuisine right, so, TV dinner. So we're going back to you now. We're going to Air Force Chow. Is, I'm going to say is just kind of met some message. Look, right? I don't know if you guys – I'm pretty sure Matt and Jesse know the meme or the, the thing that's been going around the internet. Okay, And they show the picture of this guy sitting down eating food, and it's so good. The guy just loses it. He's just – he's singing and he's throwing the food in his face. He's all smiles. Yes. And a guy has written across this. This is what happens when somebody outside the Air Force sits down and eats in an Air Force dining facility. That's what it's like. The Air Force dining experience is five-star, where the rest of these guys, unless you're on a sub and they got you captive underneath the waves, is probably one to two stars. Yeah, but wait a minute. The Air Force, there's no expense. I mean, you go to an Air Force dining facility, and it's going to be tablecloths. More than three times out of the year holiday. That's inappropriate. They shouldn't have that. If it, the other guys don't have it, well, look at. But I've always heard. So, so you're you're calling this out now. I'm going to call CNN and Fox after the show. So what you're saying is this myth about Navy food is just all BS. Because I've heard no, that's a recruiting tool. No, Navy. I find no. I think food. Well, I don't know about a recruiting tool, especially with this generation. Jesse and Matt, please back me up because I'm old enough to be in your parental lead. But go ahead. It, it, it's not uh, – Navy puts a lot of effort into putting good food out because it's such a morale requirement. Right. And in the desert in Iraq, the Army tried really hard with the dining facility to do the same thing. But they had third country nationals that were working these dining facilities. They spent a lot of money. They put a lot of stuff around it. So you had green bean poppy. You had <laughs> you uh, all these other kind of cool You haven't things. been in New York Cinnabon City. was in a lot of these places. You haven't been to New York City. They tried to make it a little bit better. Right. But you have to – what happens is when you get broken down to a component, when you're eating an MRE, and that's what you eat for two weeks. Okay. When you get something where you can actually sit down with plastic utensils, you think you're at the Ritz-Carlton. Right. Or and if you provide somebody with hot showers three nights out of the week, they're going, oh, my God, I've never had it so good in my yeah, life. That's the Air Force, folks. Right there. Yeah, okay. All right. So it sounds like the Air Force wins. I would say in general, okay. I, I don't need the because you had to even bring up Coast Guard. Okay, I hate Except to ask this question. Icebreaker. Yeah, how was the food in the Coast Guard? Great, I bet. The icebreaker, the icebreaker tried really hard. I I thought a really good job. In fact, it's one of the funniest stories. A guy who does listen to the show was a shipmate of mine on the icebreaker, Polar Star. Yes. Uh, which, God bless them, they're headed up to the North Arctic, uh, doing a mission this winter in the dark. Good. Um, we had to wait out in line and we all ate out of the same dining facility. And one day a young kid, two people down from us, because you know I was an officer, so I'm in the same line. 
he started complaining that they had the same thing twice Ooh. and he was really bent out of shape. And inside Commander Corbett's head, a little switch went like yes. that. And I just I kind of went into this whole you should ignore really that. psychopathic, really yes. low quality voice. I got, I got eye to eye with this guy. Go, what part of this don't you like, young man? Yes. That it's going to be served on a clean tray in an air conditioned environment on the ship? Have you experienced the joys of sitting in a desert someplace with bugs jumping into your food or your buddies next to you? getting sick while you're trying to eat because oh. it's your 15 minutes to eat. And this poor kid, I mean, I just I crushed him. I didn't mean to. Yes, you did. But it was just, it was seemed so unbelievably unfitting to, to, to make a complaint. Here we are, an air-conditioned ship, South Pacific, headed to Antarctica. And yes. you complain because we had, what, what turkey you ham two days in a row? Or, what were you or, eating? Or, or, or day? you got to be, sh- what were you eating? you got to be kidding me. What were you eating? Maybe it wasn't worth the two days in a row. What were you eating? Well, you like, usually you- had... Some kind of beef and some kind of, of uh, um, yeah, that's it. Exactly, meat eating. Uh, Who wouldn't get sick of that to go with it? Plus, you had leftovers that were available all the time. Wow! So you just you never went hungry on a ship. Matt, help me out. Do you ever go hungry on a ship? Uh, no, no. Not, unless well, you don't want to eat. Okay? Right, unless exactly. You don't eat, okay, yeah. Jesse. How many times were you going hungry in the army? It happens, right? Couple times. Couple yeah. times. Right. Hey, Valerie. Val. Are you hungry? I am. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's move on. So, okay. So, so uh, Jesse, going back to you. So, you started the podcast. It's called Mud Pie, and but you talk about like UFOs and paranormal stuff, right? Right. What's the weirdest story you've of... heard? What's the weirdest thing you've heard? I don't know about weird, but probably one of the. Well, you know what? I had a conversation with a person who wrote a book uh, on Uh-oh. Uh-oh. the food offerings of fairies and sasquatch and aliens and mm-hmm. how different entities would trap humans depending on the food or drink throughout all these like stories throughout time so interesting I think a pretty interesting conversation yeah sure yeah right yeah yeah so like what i know that the uh, the guys who look for bigfoot they put up big Macs and stuff right right but they're he was talking more along the lines of bigfoot using food items to attract humans in so that they could keep them essentially hostage or slaves really how, yeah Extraterrestrials ha- stories have been told about these like. So what are they putting off? Big Macs or dark. Big Macs to. So they humans? actually say, <laughs> he said that it might just be um, something like twigs and sticks and bushes, but it, the perception is of actual food until the person eats the food and then yes. it starts to taste like earthy twigs. and dirty, and then <laughs> when the person comes to, it's like just nasty. Sounds like one of Coco's potties. from the forest, essentially. <laughs> right, Coco. Yeah, you're all going to get Absolutely invited. Sure. Yeah, you're all going to get invited to Coco's, you know, his, his spring party. Soirees. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you cannot spring miss them. In autumn. He'll spring fly you in. He'll fly you in, believe me. <clears throat> so, um, now, Mr. Uh, Mr. Switchblade has just signaled me that he's oh, really? ready to join us. Why don't we take a break then, okay? Because so we can all kind of regroup. And we'll Probably fair in. enough to do that. Okay, so yeah. you're listening to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show. The food segment. Okay, that's what we should do, Coco. We should do a cookbook and have all the guests. Yeah, absolutely. You know? But I just think it's really cool that you you're, have this food segment going and you're going to bring in Switch. Switch. And then Switch from the submarine with the breakfast In the breakfast. Great silent service. And what he had for breakfast. And his breakfast. The biggest part of the show. Kismic. Okay. Kismic. <laughs> is that what that means? Okay. And here he is calling. His I don't know what this means. I can just do it with my fingers. Okay, there you go. Uh, so why don't we take a break now, and uh, we'll be back with uh, more fun. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. 
Uh, we'll be right back after this. I was in the hospital with my son for 18 months. When he got injured, I wasn't prepared, but I knew I had to be strong. When I was told about John's injury, I was in complete shock. I just remember rushing into his room and giving him a big hug and letting him know I was there. These veterans and families are just a few of the heroes we serve at Homes for Our Troops. For thousands of severely injured veterans, everyday life is filled with barriers. It was really the, the little things throughout the house. Counters that you can't roll up to. I had to drag my wheelchair down steps. I want to help, but he is so determined. At Homes for Our Troops, we build specially adapted custom homes with features like wheelchair access, roll-in showers, and automatic door openers that allow them to function independently and focus on their recovery and family. This house is freedom. It's hope. It's a new beginning. This house has given me my family back. To learn more, visit HFOTUSA.org. Welcome back, everyone, to Macaroni's Military Style Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Macaroni. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. And with J.J. Free, which is really weird because he's missing a really good show. He would have enjoyed this, but for Sorry, girls. But for all you middle-aged ladies, uh, Coco is here. Commander Cobra up there in uh, the Great White North. Coco. Good evening, Mac. As always, a privilege to be part of the formation flying on the wing. Chicken wing. Yep. Okay. Everything good with you? You have four feet of snow? Oh, is that what you this is the, how could it not be better? I've uh, spent 88 minutes with you so far on a great wintry evening in Maine. The 88 minutes. You're like hot cocoa like and, and, and whiskey combined. Really? Yeah. Have you ever actually mixed those two? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Johnny Walker Black oh. with uh, Nestle's Cocoa. Oh. oh, it is the way to go, my friend. It is the way. Jesse, you're nodding. You, uh, a guest that's in the Pantheon, he knows what I'm talking about. Again. If, uh, we're going to get into cuisine of the armed forces here in a little bit. This is one thing that would make everybody happy if you could get a rush no, to that. No, 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 no. You cannot put Johnny Walker Black in cocoa. What's the matter with you? Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. Let's move on. Uh, Switchblade Steve Watt, our national correspondent up there in Battle Creek, Michigan, the Battle Creek of the Republic. Switchy, how you doing? I am beyond wonderful, Mac. Beyond wonderful, the name of his autobiography. Okay. Now listen. In the past few weeks, we've seen a change in you. You're looking very professorial, if that's the word. Is this by happenstance, or you have something cooking? I don't know. I, I need a haircut. Uh, but other than that, uh, okay. I don't you. know if it's, if, my, it, it, if it's my countenance or my uh, my hair, the way I, I style my hair, or... What could uh, be what? My, my deep knowledge on all subjects. That's right. It's called Kavorka. And your modesty. And the modesty. And your modesty. <laughs> right. Yes. My modesty. I, people have always praised me for my modesty. That's a big it's, it's legion. It's legion. <laughs> it's legion. <laughs> okay. Also joining us. By the time I introduce everyone, the segment will be over. Valerie LaFaso, our favorite empath. Valerie, how are you doing? How can you possibly be hanging on with us here? Uh, it's a fun night. You know, you have a good variety of, of guests on tonight. So this is a lot of fun. Hmm. Yeah. And half of them are loaded. Can you tell which half? <laughs> You're an empath. Listen. Also with us is Matthew Roberts, who was a cryptologist aboard the USS Teddy Roosevelt aircraft carrier. When the pilots on that ship 
filmed the famous UFO gimbal video. Matthew, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Okay, and you have books out that we're going to plug. Don't worry. Also, our good friend Jesse Kwanzi up there in Montana, 10-year Army veteran, came back to Montana, back to a place that's so small the cops text them when bears are about. That's out there, baby. And he has a uh, podcast called Mud Pie, kind of a paranormal military uh, podcast. Thanks, uh, Jesse, for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay. And now joining the group, joining the formation, and we need a doctor, Dr. Bruce. How you doing tonight, Bruce Salheim? All right. Doing? Yeah. Hello. Where Hello you, to everybody. Where are you, out in California somewhere? Yeah, near Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Really? Yeah, huh? What's it like out there these days? Yeah. Is it hot? Is it warm? Is it? It's warm. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So listen, so before we start, <laughs> what we, we've been talking for about an hour on like military food, and we had a mm-hmm. couple of comments off here, so we're going to get back to that, but we have to, time off food, we have to get back to Switch. This is rated the highest skew of our entire two-hour show. Okay, look, he's shaking his head in disgust, but I'll tell you, it's false modesty. It's not disgust. Okay, uh, I'm not disgust. I used the wrong word. Just another word, uh, incredulity. Is that? Wow. Slow down, egghead. Look at the big brain on switch. (laughs) Wow. That was a lot of syllables. Yes. He has cue cards, and he's got the big cup. So listen, everyone wants to know, Switchy, what did you have for breakfast? Uh, this, uh, this morning I had, uh, I made a couple scrambled eggs Ooh, yep. with, uh, added some green pepper green pepper. and a little bit of shredded cheese, uh, Jeez. Colby Jack shredded cheese. Really? And I had three strips of bacon what? and I had a little bit of, uh, corned beef hash left over just a little bit. So I added that and then two, uh, toasted two pieces of white toast, uh, not, you know, not the stuff off the shelf, but the stuff on the bakery side in Go the ahead. grocery store. Sure. And uh, good stuff. right some, next to the Entermans, that's what he's trying to say. Yes. No, actually, the Entermans is on the opposite side of the of this particular uh-huh. store, but that's another story. Wow. And uh, added some uh, uh, Land of Lakes uh, butter, the soft spread. The re- oh, the soft spread? With, yeah, the fake butter. Okay, yep, all right. With, yep. with hot black coffee and orange juice. Wow, orange juice. You're talking to a guy who has a piece of toast every morning. So... You know, the bacon, let me just ask you, was the bacon, was it within the expiration date? Yes, I, I suspect it was. Okay, It, it didn't look uh, funky, and it tasted pretty good. That's, you shouldn't suspect those things. You should nail those down. We got a lot of we got a lot of emails wondering about whether you should be eating expired bacon or not. But then people are saying I, bacon I, never I expires. I expired bacon. I had, a couple of weeks ago, there was some bacon that was definitely suspect, yes. and uh, so I got rid of it. You got rid of it. You did the right thing. So listen, but people are writing to me and say bacon never goes wrong. Bacon never goes wrong. The whole idea of bacon is that it's salted pork. Coco, you should know this. What salted pork? Absolutely yes. What, what, what do I look like? I would know the inside track on bacon. Well, you have pigs. You, you, you have bacon walking around your no, back. I do not. No, 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 no. Those Goats, are pigs. Sheep. Oh, okay. Horses. All right. Geese. Yes. Chickens. Mrs. Cobra does want to get a baby pick. Really? She said that to you? I say, look at me, sweetheart, but she's not working. Coco, dual material. So listen, so Bruce, um, I just remember our last conversation, one of the last thing you said before we went off the air was that you had you had relatives who were in the Gestapo, correct? Uh, yes, my, my dad's youngest sister. Sister? Okay, so talk about books. So, um, yeah, so uh, what was she up to? 
Well, she worked in Oslo, the capital city, and no uh, she worked with a guy named Colonel Famer, and uh, her job was to find members of the underground, and she was able to lure like nine of them, and they were all captured uh, and uh, ultimately tortured and executed. So wow. she was charged with, uh, with war crimes and uh, sentenced to death, and she was going to be shot at the uh, at, at the uh, Akershus uh, castle there in Oslo in the harbor. Okay. But then my uh, my dad's oldest brother was a war hero, uh, convoy commander working for the British, and he used his reputation and all of his money to get her sentence commuted to life. Wow. Of which she only did nine years. And did she <laughs> did she get out or did she die in prison? No, she got out after nine years. She claimed that she had gone. Insane, sure, but she was crazy like a fox. Yeah, right. Well, she got out and did very well. As had a CPA business. Yeah, Coco. There's the movie. She was a a strange lady. There's the movie. Oh God, yes. Yeah. Wow. Doctor Bruce uh, had explained a little bit. We we chat a little bit off air. Um, Yeah, it's a it's a crazy world. Crazy. So so uh, he's got a pretty good chunk of that bite. Wow, man. There was there was actually a movie. she wasn't in the movie, but there was a Norwegian movie called Max Manus. He's he's a uh, famous resistance fighter. Okay. And there's a scene where they they set up two of the members of the resistance at a cafe in Oslo, and actually it was my aunt who set up that that meet. Okay. And uh, that led to their capture. We're uh, getting uh, texts. So, yeah, she was she was pretty pretty infamous. We're getting texts and emails. Everyone wants to know what what she looked like. Was she someone who was alluring them like a bar type thing? Yes, she was very attractive. I have. Yes, a, everyone. I think I might have showed it briefly. We're a TV show. Let's my uh, we're a radio show. My let's cousin see. wrote a book. Yes, and the title of it's in Norwegian. Look at doing and sure captain. It means the decoy and the sea captain. Yes, and there it's kind of a there's your title. sexy look there. Okay, well, you have a picture of her, yeah. and then uh, there she is. Oh, not bad. And my uncle, who was ah. the war hero. A little bit of a Judy Garland. She, she was a pretty attractive. Yeah, Judy Garland, Wizard of Oz she, era. She had a, a country girl. She had an innocent country girl look, but yes. uh, she was not innocent. <laughs> wow. Let's put it that way. Writes itself. There's yeah. an elevator pitch. Okay, good for you. Yeah, uh, so she was she was deadly, very deadly, very interesting uh, lady. She had um, she was unrepentant as a as a Nazi. Really? So really, I mean, she had Nazi books on her bookshelf. Spoke perfect German. Uh, t- to the point where uh, German people I knew thought she was German. So, and what, she was and Norwegian. Asked, How does she know German so well? She was Norwegian. <laughs> Norwegian, yeah. Yeah, Norwegian. Wow, huh? Yeah. So yeah, that, wow. that's the reason. That, that's the reason I'm here in the United States because my dad and my mom didn't want to hear, or especially my dad didn't want to hear about his Nazi sister anymore after the war. Wow. As you can gather, it was a pretty unpopular story. Yes. Yes. So they moved to America to kind of get away from that. You know, it's, it's kind of like being Charles Manson's brother or something. Wow. It's, Murray Manson. You wanna, yeah. You want to get away from it. He's a tough guy, too. <laughs> wow, huh? Yeah. So, listen, yeah. so now you were an Army pilot, right, Bruce? Yeah. I, I started off uh, as an E-1. I was a jail guard in a military prison. Okay. I worked in a state prison, too, maximum security. Went back in, went to flight school. Yes. And uh, became a warrant officer. I was uh, um, in the air cav. I was a scout, aerial oh. scout. Okay. And uh, well, Jesse was uh, age fifty eight. Jesse did a bu- he did some tours in Iraq, and he was uh, ferried around a lot in uh, Blackhawks and so on and so forth. Right, Jesse? 
Yes, sir. I was an aviation ops guy and then a battle NCO for some flight type units, small, small little detachments. So yeah, I spent a lot of time in the UH sixties once or twice in a 58. Hmm. Yeah. You? So I, I was, well, I was in so long ago that the uh, Blackhawks were just coming in when I left the service. So really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. I flew, I, I flew Hueys <laughs> you, quite a bit. The old yeah. UH-1. I got to say, you don't look I that old. Have. I love the Hueys. You don't look that old, Dr. Bruce. <laughs> you don't, but that's, that's a while ago. Yeah. The Hueys, they're still around though. Hueys are still around, right? Not, not left on active duty. Oh, none. Oh, okay. No. Yeah, but they were I, in, I think they have some at Fort Irwin for like op, op forces training, op four training and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Special use, but yeah, not on active duty. People always talk about like classic airplanes and stuff like that. If you ever want to talk about a classic helicopter, it, it, the Huey has like did everything and for years and years and years, real utility. In excess, in excess of 12,000 of those aircraft were built. Really? Yeah. yeah. And there's still variants today that are out there flying. Were they easy to yeah. fly? Easy or hard? Uh, all helicopters are difficult to fly, but I would say uh, the, I like the Huey a lot. Um, it was uh, very simple technology and uh, didn't have a lot of fancy stuff Good. that would break, and it was easier to maintain for the guys to maintain Yep. Uh, the electronics and the, you know, the mechanical parts of it. So it was... In that way, it was it was better because when the uh, the other help, the newer ones came in, especially the um, Apaches, yes. had a lot of downtime for maintenance and very fancy, they were fancy. stuff on them. Yeah, they're fancy. So like I, I flew with guys who uh, flew the Cobra too. So right, and yeah. uh, although my friend who flew Cobras, he liked uh, he liked the the black. He went it transitioned into Blackhawks. He liked those better. Like Cobras were skinny Hueys, you know, they were like skinny Hueys in a way. Same. Yeah, same company. Yeah, yeah same yep. company. So, um, had a narrow what, profile. Right. Where were you, where were you flying? Where were you doing all your flying in the Hueys? Uh, it was in. Uh, I never went into combat. I always like to say that. Okay. Uh, but I was at Fort Bragg. I was in the 82nd Airborne. Really? Yeah. Wow. You're one and, of those uh, guys. Jeez. You were a cop, the pilot in the 82nd Airborne. <laughs> yeah, first 17th Air Cavalry. Hmm. And also the combat aviation battalion. Yeah, wow. Well. And um, and then, yeah, yeah. Jesse, so listen. So when you were in, uh, what were you in? What was the name of your unit, and so on? Uh, well, it depends on where. My first deployment, I was part of Second Brigade Combat Team, Fourth Infantry Division. Okay. When I was in Korea, I worked in Second Cab Two ID, and then my last to like station before I was a recruiter was Task Force Odin in Fort Hood. So I kind of jumped around every couple of years. So what do you think of these? What do you think of these 82nd yes. Airborne guys? What do you think of these guys? Are they they rock around like they're the rock stars? Correct. Yeah, they well. have quite an air of. Whoa! I, I believe the word is cachet. They have a certain yeah. cachet. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay, let's go. Which has many meanings in the army. Sorry, Doctor Bruce. <laughs> Sorry, you should have got us that marijuana <laughs> prescription. So let, uh, uh, let's let's go up to. Uh, Let's go up to Valerie, our empath. Valerie, can you give us a pulse, please? She's looking as disgusted as she's ever been. Please tell us. <laughs> I'm we... not disgusted now. Okay, but we're at the, um, we're no, at the, the bottom. pulse is, is good. Like I said, there's a, a good variety of, of guests, so it's, Interesting. you know, the energy is high in, in a positive way. Can so. you imagine it's if good. Juan Juan was here? What this would be like? It would be totally, it would be like the Three Stooges in nine little frames, right? So, so, all right, let's go back to food, okay? For some reason, we're talking about military food tonight. I'm sorry. But, Bruce, off the year, you said that you were in a military prison, correct? And So it was an Army military prison? 
Yeah, it was the uh, uh, U.S. Army confinement facility in Mannheim, West Germany, when it was East and West Germany. That sounds it, really It nice. no longer exists. I think they tore it down, but it was horrible. Okay. Uh, and it was, uh, we'd have to eat the prison food made by the prisoners, oh. which is not, a, that's a scary proposition. So the food was horrible. So I ended up just bringing my own food. But every once in a while, I put my life on the line and ate some of the really? food from there. It is I'll like- just tell you this one night. <laughs> Go ahead. That they had three three of the cooks in there uh, were were murderers. They had committed at least one murder, and they oh. all had knives. And they were like cutting beef and stuff. And I'm thinking, who who's the knucklehead who put these three guys in really? the in the kitchen with knives? Uh, yeah, yeah. And one of them had actually stabbed somebody to death. You know, really? I mean, who yeah. was that knucklehead who made that assignment? Wow. <laughs> and 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 it wasn't like they were spitting. Let's, in let's the not let's not fault the inspiration of your culinary chef. Right. Yeah. You never Please, know. Please, Doctor Bruce. Let's have a more open mind. But, I mean, really. Dr. Bruce, listen, it wasn't like they were spitting in your food, yep. right? The prisoners wouldn't do that to the prison guards. A prison, oh. yeah, okay. All right. So you don't have well, to worry we, there. In the, <laughs> in the maximum security prison that I worked in in Minnesota, uh, we found um, like uh, metal shavings, oh. like from a metal lathe. Go ahead. In uh, the mashed potatoes. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe. Just trying to put a little iron into your diet. That's I don't all. understand exactly. why it has to be such negativity They're here. bumping it's it up. on the negative. They're bumping it that up. The, that was the first and last time I ate in that maximum really? security oh, my dining hall. So listen, to get <laughs> hey, into... Hey, where, Matt, I just got to throw this out back. I'm not Matt, Yes. Go ahead, Matt. Is that food on the Teddy Roosevelt starting to sound a little yeah. bit better now? Yeah. I'm not oh, hungry yeah. anymore. Yeah. Are we bumping up a star? Little did I know I was fine dining on the uh, aircraft carrier. I no <laughs> yeah, idea. It was like it, you were on a cruise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. As, as a professor, I was visiting the Boxer, the USS Boxer. Yes. The amphibious assault ship. And we went from Singapore to uh, Phuket. Uh, in Thailand. Oh. And uh, I, so I was a civilian on board as a professor teaching them how to use, how to do online education. This is like before 9-11. So this is a long time ago. Go ahead. But um, they, they said I could eat with the officers, right? Yes. And uh, I did that. And then I thought, ah, that's pretty boring. So then they said, well, you know, you can, if you want to eat with a crew, you can. So I went and I, I stood online, you know, with, yes. the, with the crew and they said, hey, you can be in front of me. And I said, no, I'll wait my turn. I got there and there's like a dog dish, you know, they gave me. And by the time I got through the line, there was hardly any food left. Oh. And I sat down, and these guys are looking at me like, why are you eating with us? Yeah, and you a know, dog You dish. should be eating in the officer's mess. I said, no, I wanted to be with the crew. And then they, they kind of thought that was cool. So. Yeah, okay. All right. But, it, uh, it, yeah. It, it just it reminds so me that, of it. I think the food is okay. There just wasn't enough of it by the time I got through the chow line. So, so, so going back to the prison for a second, what's the name of the prison? Because it just sounds terrible. <laughs> Uh, the U.S. Army confinement facility in Mannheim, West Germany. Okay, so what? So these are we G- had a population. Go ahead. These are all Army and Air Force guys. Army yes. and Air Force. Uh, yes. We always had about two hundred of them from all over the European Command. Sure. And what so was this? The- was like from seventy nine to eighty one. Wow, that's when I was there. How old are you? You look like you're about. Well, we had murderers. We had. Yes, go ahead. We had murderers, rapists. We had guys selling arms and ammunition to terrorists. You know, we had all kinds of terrible. Really? Yeah. So that's what it took. That's what it took, something like that, to get locked up where you were. Well, we had those guys. And then we had the guys who hit their commanding officer, too, or or did something, you know, insubordination. They were there for a shorter period of time. But the the ones that did serious stuff, we processed them to go back to Fort Leavenworth to do hard time. Yes, yeah. At, at the disciplinary barracks. Make little rocks out of big ones. That was not the place to go. No. Hey, Jesse. Do you <laughs> I, have a- I carted a guy on death row. 
Oh, really? Ended up yeah. on death row there at the, he, at the disciplinary barracks. He wanted Wyatt to Matthews. go. I remember that guy. Yeah. Did he want to go or was he yeah. afraid? Did he want to go or was he, he afraid? He was nuts. He was completely nuts. Nuts. He was completely nuts. He killed uh, three guys in a tank. He was, he was a tank commander. He was an NCO. Go ahead. And he fired his tank into another tank and killed the guys that were, I think it was at least three guys in there that died. And uh, he gave no reason other than he wanted to get out of the army. That was the only thing I heard. Well, that did it. So, so he, he was sentenced to, to death. He rammed his tank into another tank and killed the three guys in his tank? He, he shot around into another tank. Really? He I think they a- called it a Sabo ram. Yeah. Yeah, the Sabo ram goes through oh. the goes through the hull and explodes inside. Yeah. Wow, wow, what a way Our, to armor piercing, yeah. What a way to get out of the army. Yeah, yeah, people can look him up. Wyatt Wyatt Matthews. He his sentence was commuted though. It was he he's doing life. I oh think. really? I, he should have been like Klinger and didn't get put to death. Should have been like Klinger and wore a dress. Three people would still be around today. <laughs> hey, listen, Jesse, ever want to take a swing yeah, at one of your exactly. offices? Ever want to take a swing at one of your offices? Uh, have you taken a swing at one of your offices? Uh, I don't think I've ever taken a swing. I've gotten in some pretty heated arguments, but mm-hmm. I think in the especially like downrange when most of those conflicts would happen, yep. everybody kind of understands for the most part that it's just tensions are really high and conflict like that's more right. likely going to happen at some point. So, were you ever in a tight spot in Iraq, Jesse? Uh, yes, a yes. Couple times. Tell us, um, tell us the tell us the hairiest one, please. Mm, one time, I think I was working at this airfield. And we had just gotten to this airfield, really small little fob, um, really small airfield that could hold, I think, four UH-60s and then one really small foreign aircraft because we were working with coalition forces, like some people from other countries. Okay. And we had gotten probably like 40 or 50 rockets, like landing inside of this small area in a matter of like two hours, maybe it destroyed our DFAC, destroyed a bunch of the barracks that we were in, destroyed the truck that was like parked right behind the building that I was in with my soldiers. Basically, like, when the round started coming in, we had our soldiers, like, out as an E5, E6 at the time, so I had five or six soldiers Sergeant. directly under me. Yep. And we just basically told them all to drop to the floor, and then when we dropped down, big blast, and we look up, and there's just metal shrapnel just high enough over the HESCO barriers because we used to have these big sand, like, big sandbag things filled with rocks and gravel and stuff to kind of prevent shrapnel fire okay. from getting five feet and below but everything over that was just pretty much trashed through our whole living area and eating area and it was yeah it was a mess i think some dude died in the outhouse a couple kpr mm. civilians died in the building and yeah mm. it was a rough couple hours yeah two hours man oh geez that's really tough so uh we're ta- it's funny we're talking about military food but like <laughs> i gotta believe anything tastes good after that it's the only thing i can say so yeah <laughs> who was um, you know mortaring you? It sounds like Iraqi, whether like Iraqi insurgents, Saddam's boys. That yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, mostly insurgency. It's just there's so many used. They have access to so many of these old rounds and rockets, yes. and they would just jerry rig them onto old rails. And this place was in a really bad location. There was a lot of terrain much higher, farther away, and they could just basically aim rocket rails down, set them on timers, and you'd never find these people because they could walk away for an hour or two, and then it would just be one after another until however many rockets they had wow. finished firing off. Yeah, yeah, they got real good at it. They got real good at improvising stuff, you know? Hate to say it. Hey, listen, so we're coming to the end, so I'm going to have everyone plug, okay? So let's start. Uh, Bruce, let's start with you. Bruce, what are you doing lately? Please tell us. Uh, well, I'm working on a uh, actually a comic book. Yes. Uh, it comes out in Perfect. the spring. Yes. It's got a... A radio show, Snark. Snark is my yeah. comic book. 
It's dark. Yeah. Is it about a nine? And, uh, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Is it, it about comes a... out probably March, April. Is it it's about Snark a... too? So it's actually the it's it's a graphic novel. The first one was a comic, but this one's actually a graphic novel. Is it so, about a knock? Um, that's. Is it about a knock? <laughs> no, it's about it, it. It's an alien hybrid okay. character comes to Earth Phew. with a mission to uh, prepare us for invasion. So oh, good, sounds good. Sci-fi, humor, history, stuff nice. like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, come back on when stuff. it comes out. Let us know. Come back on. Okay. Yes. Okay. And that's a great story about your uh, your aunt, right? Your good looking aunt. Is that what happened? She your aunt? Yeah. She she was always she kept herself very you know till the end. Really, mm-hmm. she died in I think she was about eighty, but she still looked pretty good. Wow. Cool. But uh, yeah, yeah, kind of an evil evil heart. It's a real good thing. JJ. She, she loved animals though. Isn't he? Oh wow. She the, loved animals. Oh my god. Yeah. She loved animals like... more than people. So she took in rescue animals and stuff. But... Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, the fact. Didn't want to get on her on her bad side. On her bad side. Or talk yeah. politics with okay. her. It's, it's good advice to anyone. Thank you, Dr. Bruce, for joining us. We'll talk to you real soon, okay? Looking forward to the comic book. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Cool. Hey, Jesse, thanks for joining us. Once again, you know, plug your um, podcast. We had a lot of fun. I was on there about a month ago or so. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my podcast is a Mud Pie Podcast. I do it with my friend Ryan. We talk about any fringe topic specifically or mostly UFOs, conspiracy, alternative history type things, mm-hmm. really anything that's not generally discussed among circles of people. Did so. you see anything when you were in Iraq? Did you see anything weird flying around, paranormal? You know, not that not that I noticed. And at that point in my life, I wasn't really looking into that stuff. So I don't yeah. think I was looking forward or really my mind wasn't really open to any of that. I was just kind of focused on what we were doing right there. Yeah, right. Mud Pie. Mud Pie Podcast. It's really cool. Yeah, we had a good time on that. Thanks for joining us, Jesse. We'll talk to you soon, yeah, okay, brother? That was awesome. Thank you. Hey, Matthew. Thanks. Matthew Roberts up there in uh, in Arizona. The name of your book again, Matthew? Uh, it's it's called Initiated uh, by Matthew Roberts. It's okay. available on uh, Amazon in uh, digital form or paperback. Matthew Roberts, yeah. Okay. I've, I've read it. It's a great book. It's a good, There you go. And that's not... Matt, log- Matt I read it. I, I read your book. Oh, I just got you, it, and I read it right through really quick. It was really good. Wow, good for thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Yeah, Thumbs good up. for you. Good for thank you. Yeah, Matthew, yeah. It's a, it, it must be a great book. Uh, thanks for joining us, and thanks for putting the lie to myth that Navy food is good. It's just kind of meant to mess up, right? <laughs> thank you. Thanks All for right. having me. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Uh, Valerie, I hate to say goodbye to you because... You're ravishing. Listen, so just give us give us a report card for the two hours, please. It's it's been an interesting show. You know, you've had some uh, different topics from what I'm used to you guys talking about. So okay, it's good. It's been a, it's been a good show. Like food. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining <laughs> us. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. And the name of your book is Friend Series. The newest one is The Last Hour. The last hour, okay, go on Amazon, Valerie LaFaso. The um, Tangled Web of Friends is the name of the series, right? Yep. Okay, thanks, thanks for joining for us. Thanks for having me on. Switchy has the train rec- vid- uh, image up in back of them, so that means the show is coming to an end. Thank you, Professor Switch. My uh, pleasure. Okay, you sure you're not taking uh, online? Really course? quick, Switch, can we get a Sweetwater's Donut? Uh, update, please. It's coming the soon. Official donor, the it's coming soon. We're in negotiations. Yes, we're in negotiations. Switch is going to be an employee at Sweetwaters Donut Mill in Battle Creek, Michigan, sometime in January, we hope. 
and he's going to be an employee for a while. It's going to involve making donuts and also pushing the broom. Switchy, you okay with both of those things? I'm okay with all of those things. And also, I'd like to say you can hear me on the High Strangers Factor on the oh, Paranormal great. UK Radio Network. And I'm also featured in the Mothman Legacy by Small Town Monsters uh, as one of the talking heads, which is a sequel to the Mothman of Point Pleasant. And I'm also writing a book as yet to have a title. Wow. He's never be out sometime this decade. He's never plugged anything before. All of a sudden, there's something. He's on Adderall or something. Something's up with him. Yes? Would you Is tell that us? what they call it? it yeah. There was no label on the bottle, okay, so right, I, okay. I don't know what it was. Exactly. Thank you, Switchy. Coco, what Take can I say? Take two and repeat. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Coco, thank you. What can I say? You filled uh, JJ's big clown shoes. We appreciate it. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's a mission, Mac. You... Uh, Call me. I try to be there. Mission completed. Mission accomplished. Thank you very much. Thanks for everyone for joining us. I'll just go very quickly. The plugs are Homes for Our Troops. Homes for Our Troops is a military charity. They build homes for wounded Iraqi and Afghan, Afghani war veterans, and then they give them the home. They adapt the home to whatever their disability might be. They give them the keys. No mortgage, nothing. Homes for Our Troops. Please Google them. 88 cents of every dollar that you contribute. Go to our troops and our veterans, and uh, they're the highest military charity there is out there. Also, the People's Mosquito Project, Ross Shop, our good friend, and a bunch of his mad Englishmen are putting back together a mosquito war plane from World War II. It was a wooden plane. They're made by cabinet makers because the U.K. was running out of steel and metal, and they put two Rolls-Royce Merlin engines on it, and it turned out to be one of the fastest things in the war. People's Mosquito Project, these guys are putting it back together, and they're going to give us rides on it, Coco, correct? Working on that, Mac. Working, Working on it. Thank you very much. Okay. Let's parachutes included. Uh, and we're a podcast now. Um, we're everywhere. Just if you have an Alexa, go to uh, Mac Maloney's Military X Files on Apple Podcasts. We're on about 28 different platforms. JJ knows them all, but he's not here. Uh, thanks for everyone downloading us. We really appreciate it. And we love the people in the UK. Uh, thanks for everyone listening. And this is Mac for the entire gang. Until you hear us next time, be safe, be happy, and bye bye.